Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the MinMax Show podcast, a place about games, friends, and getting better. Thank you for being here. My name is Ben Hansen, and I'm not alone. I'm joined by one Kyle Hilliard. Hello, I'm here. I'm joined by Jacob Geller. Hello, I'm also here. And I'm joined by Imran Khan, friend of the show. Hello, I'm finally back. Finally back. Um, friend s- of the of my heart, I would argue. Hmm. Not even just friend well, of the show. But I guess we the show all is... We've each other like five, uh, six years now. I guess yeah, it's been a while, yeah. So yeah. formerly of Game Informer, now sadly formerly of Fanbyte, Imran. I'm sorry to that- hear about the, the big turnover and explosion over there. Yeah, it was. Uh, it caught us all a little off guard. Like, I'm not gonna say I didn't see it coming a little bit, right. but I assumed we'd we'd have a couple more months to, you know, really either turn that side around or at least like put out the best stuff we could put out in like a couple of months. But yeah, it could very much kind of caught everyone off guard to suddenly lose 15 of our 22 people at uh, on on a random Thursday morning or. For me, because I was in Japan right. sleeping at the time, a random Thursday night. Uh, rough, man. Yeah. Uh, sucks. Brutal. I definitely want to unpack all that stuff, and we got some community questions about it, believe it or not. Mm. But yeah, it was it was a bizarre perspective to be... I was at a preview event in San Francisco for right. Mario and Rabbids Sparks of Hope, and like Michael from Fanbyte was there, uh, Reb from The Deepest Dive and Chrono Cross was there. Um, and so it was just a bizarre situation of like hearing about this explosion of Fanbyte and just reaching out and then realizing, oh, no, no, you are you don't even know that this happened yet. You're sleeping in a Tokyo bed right now and you're not yeah. even aware that Fanbyte has imploded. Right, yeah, because I, I woke up to a, a, a DM from Reb. Yeah. Yeah. So because she she had talked to my boss already and she knew I had been laid off. Mm. So you you Michael and Reb knew before I did because all all three of you were there and she was like she would tell me like yeah Ben Hansen is here and I'm talking to him and I'm talking to to Michael and all that and I was like okay I I I don't mind other people knowing before I did I mind that the way I found out was that I found out through like a recent era thread Ooh, and it was like yeah because I, I didn't know because I why would I check my personal email as opposed to my work email like first thing in the morning right right well we'll talk about some more uplifting things before we dive back into that because <laughs> I think there's a lot to unpack there for sure um, and perhaps some announcements associated with that Imran the, yeah, there's there's some things we can talk about. All right, great. Looking forward to it. Um, but on this episode of the show, we're going to be talking about uh, some of the biggest news uh, this year so far, the leak of Grand Theft Auto 6. Monumental. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, there's a demo for a game from Team Ninja called Wo Long Fallen Dynasty that I, we can talk about. Uh, Jacob and Imran, I'm assuming you want to talk about Bayonetta 3? Yeah, I'll talk about Bayonetta yeah. 3. Okay, I, I literally at any time uh, for any duration. <laughs> <laughs> All right, perfect. Uh, Mario and Rabbids Sparks of Hope. I got to play three hours of that Switch game, so we'll be talking a little bit about that. Uh, Imran was at TGS, the Tokyo Game Show, and specifically, Imran, I'm curious about that show overall, but specifically the PSVR 2, and you can you can talk about that? I can talk about I can oh, talk about seeing God. the tall vampire lady. Oh, fantastic. I can't wait to right. talk about what she yeah. actually looks like. Uh, Metal Hill Singer, Hyper Demon, Half-Life 2 VR, some other games here and there, including... Return to Monkey Island. We'll be talking about that. Uh, Kyle and I have been playing it a bit, but we needed to call in an expert for later on in the show. So we're bringing in Frank Cifaldi. Not Now, don't be confused. Frank Cifaldi is not Kelsey Lewin, but separate co-directors of the Video Game History Foundation. Together, they uh, form the great brain trust over there. So we'll be joined by Kelsey's co-worker to talk about Monkey Island. He's a, a very learned person. Kyle, how would you put that? <laughs> He's smart about Monkey Island. He knows stuff. He knows Monkey stuff. Island 
is to Frank Cifaldi as Ocarina of Time is to Kyle Hilliard. There we go. He he knows the secrets of Monkey Island. He actually uh, literally does. Um, then back after the show, we have some wonderful community questions that people submitted over there on Patreon, so please look forward to that. Uh, okay, earlier this week, there was uh, the monumental news that Grand Theft Auto 6 had leaked. What that means exactly, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around. Imran, you're a news hound. How would you explain exactly what happened here? So, I wouldn't... Leak is a an implication... Like, this is theft. This was somebody using social engineering to get into a Slack and take a bunch of assets that were just, like, posted on the Slack because people are obviously collaboratively working together. Right. And take them, take what I guess was the source code of the game and, like, manage to get... What I think is probably the biggest example, short of like the Nintendo or Capcom, like uh, Giga League ransomware kind of things. Right. Biggest example of asset theft that I've literally ever seen in the industry, especially for what is probably, I, not even probably, what is the biggest video game currently in development. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, like, and from yeah, one of the so. tightest companies out there, the fact that this leak can happen. I mean, it's bizarre to think of, yeah, Rockstar and Nintendo two of the tightest companies out there, tightest ships, that the biggest well, it, leaks are coming from them. It also reminded me of that thing um, where uh, the all of Half-Life 2 was stolen. Yeah. Oh, Because uh, that was another thing where it was like, they got the source code. They didn't just get like pictures or videos of it. And uh, that person went to jail. So yeah. <laughs> well, they went to jail and... Not only because they they made a deal with Valve to like okay I will I will show up like at this airport I think and like you guys will pay me money or whatever and that was when they got busted it was like it was literally yeah, they got stink. stung yeah, yeah. And yeah. that was actually my reaction is when most people are because that's kind of like where your brain goes when someone's like this is the biggest leak ever is my reaction is to be like well hold on let's take a step back and think about this right and the other one the other the first one that came to mind for me was the half-life 2 leak but i don't i think this one is bigger you know i, I think mean this certainly one is, more, more people bought previous gtas than the first half-life yeah. yeah and just for everybody's frame of reference watching the video version of this the gameplay in the middle isn't from gta 6 that's from gta 5 because i don't <laughs> want to get the fbi kicking in our windows and doors um but okay Obviously huge. Obviously, um, don't do that. Don't steal mm. stuff. Don't um, sneak your way. Right? They socially engineered their way onto their Slack, pretending to be right. They got some that, approval to get get in there. I believe. Okay. Yeah. I'm really curious. I, yeah. I don't do that to the MinMax Slack either, because we <laughs> right, post yeah. some crazy stuff. In oh there. man, we basically have GTA Seven rolling in there at this point. <laughs> um, so it's a good lesson on 2FA of why you should use that probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it seems like it's what 90 videos or something like that. It's a lot of short clips of a very, very early in development version of GTA. Never GTA 6, as Rockstar never points out, but presumably this will be called GTA 6, we could imagine. Right. Um, and it's just rough footage. I saw bits and clips on Twitter. I mean, how far down the rabbit hole did you all go to try and see as much as you could from this thing? Because it's, it's, I understand, don't do that. However, it is fascinating <laughs> to see. Yeah. It is fascinating to see a game this big, this early in development, just academically. I, I watched, I would say maybe about 30 clips, because I, I yeah. kind of wanted to get an idea of like, What's what's new in GTA 6? What are they doing? Because there are people who look at this stuff and be like, oh, this doesn't look good, but obviously it's not going to. It is alpha or maybe like late alpha gameplay at this point. Yeah. But I we did get a good sense of the mechanics so far and what they're actually planning for GTA 6 in terms of how they want it to play. And that's that is interesting and that is cool. And I I liked seeing all that stuff. 
Yeah, there's um, there's a lot of people have coming out have came out in support of Rockstar naturally on Twitter. Like a lot of developers out there is talking about how brutal it is to have this stuff out there. Like Neil Druckmann, Last of Us Part Two, it was another huge leak, right? Um, he tweeted out to say to my fellow developers out there affected by the latest leak, know that while it feels overwhelming right now, it'll pass. One day we'll be playing your game, appreciating your craft, and the leaks will be relegated to a footnote on a Wikipedia page. Keep pushing, keep making art. It's, it's very nice to see people. And I saw there's what a lot of developers sharing very early footage of their games to try and give people a reference for don't judge GTA 6 and the quality of it based on where we're at. If I may, it feels so different to me from something like The Last of Us Part 2 leak because I don't know if I really learned that much from the few clips that I watched. Like there's no mm. big story spoilers that I learned. I feel like Jason Schreier's article at Bloomberg where they revealed, yeah, it's Vice City, and yeah, you can play as a woman, and it seems like it's kind of a Bonnie and Clyde robbery-themed story. That was kind of the epiphany, and then I watched this footage, and it's like, yeah, that, that seems about right. You know, there's no yeah. story thing to reveal like there was with Last of Us Part Two, which is why that was so devastating when that story is so important to that game. Um, if, if I may... Sure. Um, why... I know it must be hard to be a developer. Why are people defending GTA 6, a game that will almost certainly sell more copies than any video game has ever sold? Like, I don't know it, if it's, it seems. Yeah, I don't know it if it seems weird for people to be sticking up for literally the biggest video game that will ever come out. I feel bad for the individual developer who probably like wanted this to be on their terms, and like their yeah. life is going to become harder from here on out. Because they are almost certainly going to get locked down and like you know get, get locked down in a way that is inconvenient to them in the way they want to work, which I, I sympathize with that. But you're right. This is this is a an entirely uh, man-made problem of boy they could have we could have been looking at early release footage of video games for years and this would have been no. I'm sorry, no big whoa, deal. Whoa, whoa, Imran, this <laughs> isn't your, yeah, this isn't I, your I comments, forgot that on Hanson Podcast, I can't. Oh, it, 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 it it real quick, Imran, you can, it just makes extra work for Hanson, so that's <laughs> Okay, fun. yeah, it's yeah, good. Yeah. Everybody I, I know, like, well, when it was, when Hanson was getting that, that sweet, sweet GameStop money, that was the, like, I didn't mind making him do that extra work. Right, but, right, <laughs> now it's just all from the Patreon supporters, yeah. so it, thank it you for that. It feels like it's kind of, it's, I, I'm having to walk the line in my mind of, like, this sucks for the developers and I know it must and I don't want their lives to be harder. But also, I do not feel that I owe the marketing of any video game anything, particularly not Rockstar. And so it's like, you know, I I'm sad for the people involved for the game to be unveiled on its own terms to me is kind of a meaningless statement, like the idea that that it would be somehow ethically better if I like watched a trailer for this rather than seeing the leaks it is just not a stance that really makes sense right. to me. I mean, we created a, a culture around this on the preview culture, essentially of things should be revealed in a way that best benefits their marketing in a way that best like benefits the, the pre-order cycle. And I think that's why people are looking at this as if it's a tragedy as opposed to like, Oh, that's neat. Like it, I think this is not going to, if any game, if it should happen to any game, it's good that it happened to Grand Theft Auto, where it literally does not matter ever. That thing will get revealed again yeah. in like a year or two years, and the pre-orders will still go completely wild. It'll still sell 135 million copies <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah, like it's it's not a big deal for that game, but also I think it's a good chance for us to actually actually sit there and say, 
Yeah, we should be talking more about pre-release games and how they're shown. I think EA has been doing a fantastic... Yes. Hard for me to praise EA for doing a good job. No, nope, but they're EA doing is it. doing a great job with like Dead Space and Skate and saying this is what games look like when we're they're being made. It's fine. This this is not what it's going to look like when you're playing it. Yeah. Just deal with the fact that not everything like when Marvel shoots a movie, it doesn't look like how it looks in the theater. It looks like people walking around on a green screen set and slashing at nothing. Yeah, like this is what video games are like too. And I think it's going to be really telling. I mean two years from now if EA is going to keep up that strategy with some of their games or if, you know, hopefully they're getting enough credit for being this transparent about Dead Space's remake and Skate that they can keep this rolling, but I guess I don't have a sense of how brutal the internet is being about Dead Space and Skate. Even like with GTA, I see everybody on Twitter being like, all those idiots on, online need to shut up. The game's going to look better than this. I just always feel like, where are you seeing these idiots? Where Are you just going to like yeah, the yeah, depths yeah. of Reddit to see stupid comments about this it, game isn't it done? Really, it feels like, yeah, we're we're all collectively responding to a Reddit thread sorted by controversial, where it's just like, <laughs> I, why would you do that? Right, I, right. You know, I, I mean, love... I love one that guy they, who becomes like the Twitter main character of the day. <laughs> That's the right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I love the trend of uh, developers in response are saying, hey, here's what my yeah, game looked like. Or, you know, here's what control yeah. looked like earlier or whatever. I wish they would do that without some idiot to dunk on. Like, I <laughs> wish that that could just happen without someone being very stupid first that they have to prove wrong. It's my my continual frustration with social media of just like, having the terms defined by the dumbest person in the world. <laughs> right, right. right. The, the problem it, like, is the terms are defined by publishers who want to cater to the dumbest people in the world and the dumbest people in the world who are rightfully somewhat protective of their money, but they also have the loudest opinions. And like those two things combining lead to a level of discourse that's like you have two extremes that are talking to each other as if one is like the larger party is victimized and both feel like they're victimized and it results in a discourse that is just completely unpenetrable to everyone else. Yeah. Impenetrable. Yeah. Um, Kyle, I assume you had the same reaction as me where you saw the footage and said, oh, that's further along than I thought. <laughs> Seems cool. Uh, no. Oh, really? I didn't have the further along than I thought. I guess I really watched very little of it because I actually do, you know, despite what everything you guys are saying, like, I'm kind of like, I just would rather see that finalized, yeah. very yeah. good rock star trailer knocking it out of the park without any spoilers. Like, it feels like a spoiler to me to even know what the protagonist looks like. Hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, to me, actually, my reaction was kind of like, oh, this isn't as far along as I thought. Oh, really? No. I mean, I mean, uh, it's weird is, to say. It's just fine. You know, they can take all the time in the world that they want on that game. That's a game that if they release it in two years or five years, I don't really care. <laughs> you know? Whereas Zelda, you'd, you'd actually march to Anuma's house? No, I'd take your time. They, if they announced tomorrow that Zelda was delayed like another two years, I'd be like, that's fine. Like, just make it good. What's your limit <laughs> then, like, Kyle? I mean, if it, GTA Five was 2013, what do you think? 20 years between entries and you're you're happy for the developers? I just would rather it be good, man. I don't know. Like, it's not, it's, it's, I have so much stuff to play. I'm not hurting for a GTA right now. I, I like those being as big monumental events, the new Rockstar game. Right. You know, there, yeah. there are people though that like only play like those big tentpole games and they like, yeah, they're like, why is it taking so long to play G or to get GTA come out yeah. or get GTA to come out? Cause like they don't think about video games as, 
as a thing made by people, and they like for them it is. I play one game a year. It takes forever for these things to come out. You and I, we we former media, current media. It is. We play everything. Honestly, Tears of the Kingdom probably my most anticipated game right now. If that game took, if they announced tomorrow, yeah, we're actually delaying another three months. I'm like, okay, I probably wouldn't have noticed anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, GTA 6, everybody, uh, just please do what Jacob Geller's asking. Just pre-order it when that option goes up. And really, <laughs> let's, let's help promote these folks, please. Um, but it's a fascinating saga. We need to protect sure. the rock star. Bowser <laughs> <laughs> needs your money. <laughs> uh, hey, so, Wo Long Fallen Dynasty. It's confusing. This game was announced during an Xbox show a while ago. This is a Team yeah. Ninja joint. Then... Um, with the last day to play, they announced announced another game from Team Ninja, which was Rise of the Ronin, that's coming 2024, that I believe is PlayStation exclusive. Um, Sony is funding it and helping to work on it, so I believe so, yeah. Okay, and then now the demo has been released for Wolong Fallen Dynasty, which is technically multi-platform, and this is Team Ninja's game for 2023. I need help sorting through these, because one is ancient China, one's ancient Japan, got it, but... Are they both very Neo slash Souls inspired, or is one feeling a little bit more in a certain direction than the other? Because this one has Bloodborne's producer working on it, apparently. Which uh, right. this one is incredibly Neo. So yeah. if, okay. if one is not Neo, then it's the other one because <laughs> Wolong uh, feels like playing Neo. It feels like playing Neo, but honestly, like, so they got rid of the stamina aspect of it, which is you know you would think a concession for more like casual accessibility to make it a little bit easier for people. No, it is significantly harder in my opinion. Like mm. I, I played and beat both Neo one and two. I, I had a very difficult time with this demo. Really? Oh, interesting. Uh, it, it really, it bums me out to have a, a deeply mechanically complex, uh, difficult melee based game. And for me to be like, Oh, another one of those because <laughs> I love that genre, but like, boy, this really feels like another one of those, specifically like a Neo 2, which I loved but didn't finish because it was like 90 hours long. And I feel like this is probably going to be that, too. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does feel like they've decided that Neo is their own souls, which is reasonable because that is a, like a successful game that is very souls like. And this I... I would say this is what their Sekiro of a Souls would be like. <laughs> okay. Like it, it almost kind of like misses the point a little bit. It's not not bad in any way, but it is they're leaning so hard into the massacre. At, like literally, the PR for this game says it is a massacre title. That's the, the word they use. Massacre. Massacre. Like masochism. I that. Oh, like, I get yeah. it. It makes sense, but like I didn't realize that was a new term that we're throwing around now. Everyone's it's a, it's a term just, that, like, just yeah. nip it in the bud. Yeah, no more. <laughs> Masochist but, hardcore, right? Yes. Is like okay. I like Souls like better. I, I I I guess they're trying to apply their own branding to, or just not even their branding. But it is yeah. what they've done with this one is they've made enemies a lot more aggressive than they were in Neo, where they were already pretty aggressive, and they've shortened the parry window by significant amounts mm. so if you were someone who is a very good at pairing in neo which could be a broken thing if you are good at that uh that doesn't work as well here you have to be on point to get anywhere with that mechanic in this game and 
honestly, I have a very difficult time just dodging and hitting, which is like also my soul's bread and butter of just backing off and waiting for my opportunity. This one is so much harder about that, which maybe this is like them balancing that, putting out this demo, seeing how people feel about it, and then, yeah. you know, adjusting those windows as time goes on. But wow, I don't, if, when this game comes out, I legitimately don't know if I'm going to have the patience to play it. But also, you can't release a game in the massive core genre and have the demo have the takeaway be like, oh, easy, baby game. Like, they got to yes. dial the sucker up for the <laughs> yeah, demo. Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're communicating what it's like. Unfortunately, I also have to keep beating my drum of I hate loot. Um, and the reason <laughs> that I won't play this game is because, like, within the first 30 seconds, I had, like, seven swords in my inventory that right, were called right. the same things that yeah. just had different numbers on them. And it's like, I just, you know, I've I've been playing Sekiro so much lately and being like, wow, I love that the sword doesn't have numbers on it. <laughs> I mean, that was the problem with uh, Strangers of Paradise, too, which is also a Team Ninja game. That I, I think that game is actually really good. Uh, I don't like picking up a new shirt every three seconds. Yeah, that was and ridiculous. And then like having to go through the menu and like putting it on, like auto equipping or whatever. Even auto equipping is not fast enough because I keep doing the stuff. So it, the end result is I just don't do it and I don't engage with the system anymore, except for like uh, brief moments between every level. And I don't think that's what they want me to do, but I don't know what they want me to do. It's it feels like design that's meant for someone who loves micromanaging but also wants to co- take constant breaks from the action which doesn't feel compatible with the game they're making yeah kyle did you dig the demo oh i didn't play it i'm sorry i didn't know you i was in that monster that's <laughs> i was too busy it's, playing trombone champ <laughs> yeah what, what is this why is the internet losing its mind about trombone champ today was like kotaku wrote an article about it or something well that's last night I swear everyone was tweeting about it. They were sharing a Kotaku article and a PC Gamer article that were both like really like this is a game of the year contender. And and then everyone was sharing those stories being like, I agree with Kotaku and I agree with PC Gamer that this is a game of the year contender. And I was like, what is this thing? It looks like Wii Music. Have you right. seen it? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm looking at a video right now and I, it seems up my alley, Kyle. Yeah, can, I, you, I, can you play some music from it, Ben? Do you have... Oh, yeah. Do you have the... Just, uh, you have, like, I think the PC yeah. Gamer tweet had a... I don't know if it was on their account, but they had like a Bach clip. Uh, yeah. Clip. Okay, here we go. Let's see what's in the trailer at least. So, <laughs> <laughs> old gray mirror. <laughs> Take me out of the ball game is another good one. On yeah, any, anything that's like public domain, they have access oh, to. Oh god! But it's uh, so it, yeah. If you haven't seen it and you just heard that, imagine a me, like a literal me, on the side of the screen, like flailing with a trombone. And right. the way the game works is you, there's like um. Uh, you, you know, uh, dots coming like from left to right that you have to click in time and you have to move the mouse up and down. You have to slide to hit the, the buttons at the same time. And sometimes that means like holding down a button and then like going and like and it, it actually I haven't played trombone, but it feels right. <laughs> so hang on. OK, hang on. Are people messing with us when they're saying that this is a game of the year contender? Is this a um, joke? No, no, no. It's it's a fun rhythm game, and the sure. thing that's that's funny about it is like if you're if you're missing the note, your note sounds flat, and you yeah. can kind of go up and down, so it makes the music sound very funny. And that's like so okay, cool, solid a rhythm game mechanic. But then on top, there's a layer on top of it where the game is very funny. Like you unlock these cards that give you details about famous. Uh, trombone players and every single like bio shares how many hot dogs they could eat in one sitting okay it's like 
And then like um, the the all the the hints uh, between like songs are just completely made up gibberish about trombones that are all very funny. And then like the, even like the start screen will change sometimes where it like it all of a sudden kind of feels like a horror game, and then you like start playing "Take Me Out to the Ball Game," and it's just this I love like, it weird thing. It's very like it kind of has like a rhythm heaven vibe to it. It's just silly. All right, yeah. trombone champ, you got me. I'll play it. I'll I, I like it. that the title is like, well, guitar is hero, so obviously a trombone would be a champ, right? Yeah, yeah. DJ also heroes. Yeah, I like it. This is this is perfect. Yeah, it kind of looks. Just, it's just fun and silly, you know. I don't think anyone. I I would I would actually like to see someone play it at a, at a high level and like do really well. Uh, it would be interesting to see because the even if you're not doing that well, trauma. it's still very funny <laughs> and silly. I was watching like apparently, I don't know if it's a mod or like an option, but there's like a tilt control option. So Ooh. people just like trying to like tilt control a trombone like up and down <laughs> is the funniest thing. Yeah, I will say Steam Deck, you have to use the, the mouse touchpad. Mm. Um, which like isn't great, so I switched over to mouse, and you can use the mouse to move up and down. Then you can press any letter key on the keyboard to like initiate the note, um, and that feels a lot better. Seems great, trombone champ. Everybody, run, don't walk. Um, I feel bad for not talking about Bayonetta three more on this podcast. Um, and they released what an eight minute video close to it, mm. showing off even more about this thing. Um, Kyle. <laughs> start with you where do you stand why are you asking me because i know where jacob and imran are at but i assume i this is the entire theme of the episode kyle is i assume we're on the same page of having a fine time with bayonetta but i couldn't tell you a single thing that's popping I've about never bayonetta. Beat, I, I played one and two a little bit never okay. beat them so I, take I, it away imran and jacob all right i finished two and i still couldn't tell you much bayonetta three where are hype levels uh at for you imran what'd you learn from this big deep dive they just did me hype levels are like relatively through the roof in that I love Bayonetta. I like I was one of the first people in the world I had the shirt to prove it, one of the first people in the world to finish that game on the hardest difficulty. Like it is Wait, you got a shirt? I forget why I think Sega sent it to me. Wow. I don't remember why or how I entered that. Like, Does the shirt <laughs> say nonstop infinite climax, the name no, of the difficulty? <laughs> it says a, uh, like it's a Scarborough Fair shirt. Oh okay. like, it, like it just has the, the names of the guns. But you like prove that by the way. What was that? Just, how did you prove to them? I that don't remember. I think I sent a picture to somebody. I might have been like <laughs> Penny Arcade was Nintendo doing it Power through Magazine? Sega. Like, I don't remember. I think it was Penny Arcade. Maybe that might make sense. Interesting. Weird. But like, I I love those games. I love learning them. I love getting better at them. I thought Bayonetta 2 was easily 2014's game of the year. And I was like baffled that everyone chose Mordor instead. Yeah, we're going like, to go with Mordor. <laughs> I still I still will fight that. <laughs> I, I think it was Bayonetta 2. But, like, three, 3 is a lesser height. 3 is like, okay, I don't really know who is, like, working on this. Is this, like, right. still Kamiya? I know Hashimoto has left, so, like... And he was uh, the director like, of 2? He was director of 2. Okay. Like, this, I... I what, when I see this game, I'm like... Cool, that is Bayonetta. I bet this game is going to be fun. But it's a lot of just me going like, I bet this game is going to be fun because the previous two games were fun. What they've shown so far has been like, nothing has leapt out at me as this is extremely interesting. This is like the next step forward for uh, action games or whatever. But I also don't really know what the next step forward for action games is going to be. I love DMC5 as an example. DMC5 was just a very good one of those. Right. It was not like it did not move it forward like I wished 
uh, it's a no in the I know the Capcom team can do. And I'm kind of getting that same vibe from Bayonetta 3 of, okay, they added a new character. They added Viola, I think her name is. Uh, like, they added a new character. Bayo has some couple of new moves. That new monster thing is clearly, like, the skeletal remains of Scalebound that they put into this game. Oh, like, interesting. I, I, all this stuff is going to be interesting. It is probably going to be fun. But, like, they announced Bayonetta 3 2017. I remember because I was covering the Game Awards at Game Informer, and I was like, I need to write about this right now. I'm going to get online. I'm going to write about this. And it's been five, five years since then. And this doesn't feel like the game I was waiting five years for. I don't know what the game at, that is. Yeah. And no, I haven't played it yet. with a nemesis system, Imran. Maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was Shadows of Bayo. Like, maybe I was waiting. Like, yeah. But I it, honestly, if they put the nemesis system in another game, I'd be like, all right, we've done this before. I don't need this again. But well, I, I don't know what I want from this game. And again, I have not played it. Maybe it will right, 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 right. my socks off. Well, maybe it, the hook seems to be the kaiju, right? You're going to be fighting big yes. monsters. Is that enough for you, Jacob? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's weird when we watched that Nintendo Direct that had, uh, I would say, a bad trailer for Bayonetta 3, where right. they were like, the first one, she was fighting for John, and now she's fighting for her Thor, and now she's fighting for the world. And it's like, no one cares about the story of the Bayonetta <laughs> games. And then that deep dive is like, guess what? You control Kaiju in this game in a way that seems not... Because they, they first showed that in a trailer a year ago or whatever when they were kind of like this game is actually coming out and i was a little worried because the idea of controlling a big clunky godzilla is kind of uh not what the bayonetta combat usually is which right. is very fast and acrobatic and flippy but in this new deepest dive they whoa, showed whoa, kind whoa. Of more... it, it was just a deep dive please um <laughs> excuse me no we'll do the deepest moderately dive, right? deep dive. right <laughs> that's right um uh, in they showed they showed more of like what the combat actually looks like when you are summoning these things and it's really cool because it's not that bayonetta becomes godzilla it's that like she is still running around on the battlefield at the same time as there's a godzilla and you're kind of both doing moves in conjunction <laughs> uh and you know and so she kind of remains vulnerable so i i agree with imran in that I, it, it doesn't quite look like a a quantum leap uh and not the game just the idea of a quantum leap right um and and platinum has kind of been in their flop era uh for the past couple of years but like i you know it's gonna be fun if if they screw this up it's it's like a huge fumbled ball just because like the fundamentals of bayonetta are so fun that you would really have to veer off in some bad direction to make right. it great yeah uh october 28th i think it's coming out soon uh yeah. everybody get ready for it I, i'm still struck by that idea of they announced project gg from platinum which also seems like it's about kaiju so it's weird to have two games that are about big scary monsters well you see Kai, kami is a nerd oh I so see. like he, he wants to make that ultraman game he's always wanted to make so they're they're just gonna do it on their own but like <laughs> again I, I like like jacob said it it's Bayonetta in conjunction with the the big monster on the side, mm -hmm. which was literally the the pros or the premise of Scalebound. Right. So right. I literally I do think they're just reusing that work. 
Hmm. Yeah. Thematically, at least. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, well, I'm excited to hear you all talk about Bayonetta 3. I, I don't know if I can get into it, but I'll, I'll give it a whirl probably at some point. Um, some game that I did give a whirl to um, was Mario and Rabbids Sparks of Hope. Coming out damn close to Bayonetta 3. It's coming out October 20th. Um, yeah, went out to San Francisco for a big preview event. I was very flattered to be included with that. You know, not as part of Game Informer, but just a little old min-max going out there, so that was fun. Um, we got to play three hours of this, the sequel to Old Kingdom Battle, which, Kyle, I assume you and I are on the same page of going in a little skeptical and then playing Kingdom Battle and being like, this is good! This is a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I never finished Kingdom Battle, but uh, yep. I, I enjoyed it. Kyle, and that's even yeah. and saying that as someone who's not super into that genre as well. So it's fun. It also gets very hard at the end. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I I also didn't finish it, but going into Mario Rabbids Sparks Hope, playing basically we played the opening hour and then they jumped us ahead a bit and we played another two hour chunk roughly. Um, but really, really, really impressed by it. I really had a great time. Um, like. That level of skepticism of like, ah, oh, remember with Kingdom Battle, where it's like, oh, Mario and Rabbids, I don't know, an XCOM clone, sure, we'll see how it goes. And everybody played it and said, oh, this is better than I thought. I feel like even with that expectation of Kingdom Battle going to Sparks of Hope, I'm like, oh, this is now better than I expected based on my experience of playing uh, Kingdom right. Battle. Uh, is anybody interested in this? Where's everybody's expectations I, I, level? I, I, I really love Kingdom Battle. I thought that game was great. I thought the Donkey Kong DLC was somehow even better. Yeah. I, I really am excited about this game and like, like like we mentioned, my partner Rebecca was also at the demo event. Yep, yep. And she was telling me like this thing somehow is even better than Kingdom Battle, that like it is a they made all the right improvements. She told me some things that I'm a little skeptical about, but those are presentation Ooh. things. Hmm. Like do, do you, visually I, I, or so at the I've never seen this embargo, so I don't know what like what is mentionable and what isn't. Uh embargo's fully lifted. Okay, so they talk now? Yeah. Um they do talk. So this, Wait, who who talks? The rabbits. The rabbits well, talk. Um, also, like Mario and pals don't really talk. No Chris standard Pratt? amount there. Chris Pratt. <laughs> uh, but they also have like. Do you remember Beepo? <laughs> like the kind of cursor robot that you move around. Oh, we all remember Beepo. Well, yeah, Beepo, Beepo talks to now. The very memorable character in the opening cutscene, who I assume it plays a major role in this game. That's right. Um, and then Beepo <laughs> also made like another AI and that AI also talks. Here's why I'm the worst person in the world to talk about this aspect of Imran. Because right when I booted up the demo, I was like, let me just go into options and lowered all of the sliders except <laughs> for music because I we were capturing this and I we have a special video coming up that's all about the soundtrack for this game because it is so damn good because the soundtrack mm. is Grant Kirkhope, uh, you know, Goldeneye, Banjo-Kazooie, a thousand other games. He composed the last game as well. So he's continuing to work on this. But then they brought in Gareth Coker from the Ori games, you know, co-composer of Halo Infinite, uh, Immortals, Phoenix Rising, Kyle's favorite. And then the legend herself, Yoko Shimomura, one of the most legendary composers in the game industry at this point. I mean, Super Mario RPG, Live Alive very recently, Kingdom Hearts, Final Fantasy XV, Street Fighter II. I mean, she has been absolutely everywhere. And so um, we're making a, a video that'll be up on Friday on YouTube. And we're going to be streaming it on Thursday mm -hmm. where I wanted to capture all the tracks that I could and then have a competition on MinMax's Twitch channel to see if people could guess who composed which of the tracks is, is the overall idea. So basically, the, long story short, I, I'm not able to comment on how annoying the talking was in front because I <laughs> muted them all immediately. I, I don't know that I'm going to find it annoying. I'm going to find it surreal for yes, sure. Yes, yes. I think that's fair. It is weird when you're used to 
you know, everybody else is kind of doing standard Nintendo stuff, and then you just have some spunky rabbit and their rabbit peach being like, I don't know about that. Or it's like, what is this? What is this little uh, battle? <laughs> I don't think they even talked in the animated. They had a show on like Nickelodeon. Yeah, the, they were just like, they were minions. They just talked like minions and said like nonsense. All right. I, I worry. I mean, are yeah. minions them? Like, weren't rabbits yeah. around before minions? Okay. Oh, yeah. But there, there are people at Ubisoft who are very bitter about that, by the way, who are like, this was our thing. They they just straight up took it. Well, especially it's weird thinking of, like, Mario, because he's the perfect straddler now, because Mario's in bed with Illumination and the minions, and also mm-hmm. rabbits. Like, he could bridge that divide if he just got their hands unclasped. And Can you imagine minions, the Facebook minions. memes if a rabbit met a minion? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> minions are like kind of loosely based on the mice from Cinderella and there's like a line you can draw there like we don't mm. have to you know who came up with the annoying little yellow scientist creatures first I don't know the, the <laughs> point is ladies and gentlemen Sparks of Hope is good though <laughs> like I hate to open yeah. it but at least based on this preview that I played you know we'll see how the whole thing actually are, are there any together, major but... like gameplay things that you can say like this is different from the first game or does yeah. it just play like a more polished version of no the yeah game. the wild thing is you know i love XCOM, enemy unknown in particular tactics overall it's not a genre that i really love and i'm sure some people will be annoyed by this but i think there's enough depth will still be on, on board in general but it feels like they're going out of their way to hide the tactics in this game they're like burying mm. it for like yes it's a tactics game but you could play this for a while and barely even remember that it's a tactics game because they removed like the grid from the boards. Now it's just kind of like a radius, right? Oh, it's like, wow. okay, you can run around and find cover whenever you want. And the weird thing is like, there's no timer or anything when you're running around. You know, there's the space where you can get to, but you feel like pressure, like a very strategic kind of way, right? Of like, okay, I can only move for so much time before they lock me out of the spot. It's like, no, no, just run around wherever, find the best move, have fun. And you can do so many moves before your turn is over. I mean, there's stuff where it's like, okay, I'm going to run from behind this cover in the battlefield, run over here, get a team jump from my enemy where now I can control in the air where I'm actually dropping to, drop over here. Then I'm going to slide dash into a bomb, which will dismantle it. Then I pick up the bomb, throw the bomb at an enemy over here. Then I can run over here, use my special ability over here, and then I can actually shoot my gun over here, and then that's what ends my turn. Like, you can do Mm. so much, and then they have a little pop-up at the beginning that says, quote, this dimension works differently. You can't move after you shoot your gun. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, okay, sure. So whatever, it's like when you shoot your gun, that is overall the end of the term. But I think they even allowed for more creativity and just you can pack so much in, especially new characters like Edge, who's like Ubisoft's new original edgy rabbit lady. Um, but she can like dash three times and it's just like a free way to attack. Like you don't have to stop your turn at any point. So you just run around, get to the enemies you can, just dash through them three times or dash through different enemies, run back, then launch over there. It's just, it's surprisingly active in a way that's really fascinating but bizarre because it opens up and you're like, in the opening of the game, you're outside of uh, Peach's Castle, just running around in the garden and whatnot. And it feels so close to like a Super Mario 64 that it just becomes like an uncanny platformer valley because like I should be able to triple jump here and I can't because it's a tactics game but like the way you're running around and you directly control Mario now or your main character compared to the last one you controlled Beepo technically like leading him around the battlefield you know or like the the overworld area and so it's so bizarre to have direct control of Mario but then not be able to jump because the rest of it feels just like such a high budget Mario production so Mm -hmm. it's it's really fascinating overall Um, there's also 
uh, they added a lot more variety to like the overworld areas. I mean, you'll be going to, what is it called? Like Winter Palace is like this snow themed area that's almost like a Luigi's Mansion level where you're going in and solving puzzles in there and there's like ghost house style doors. But all of these kind of overworld areas, they've packed in just a lot of variety and a lot of quests. And like literally you have a map now of all the areas and you like unlock fast travel points to get from area to area. Like tactics, it's a tactics game, but it is just bizarre how that's kind of been bumped down the ladder a little bit. I mean, to the point of they've added more progression for everybody. You get sparks, um, which are the fusion of Lumas and Rabbids. Um, and you can upgrade those sparks by feeding them star bits, just like in Mario Galaxy. Um, it doesn't have the animation, though, of, like, the star bits flying in like Galaxy Aww. did, which was always really satisfying. Uh, it's just all yeah. through menus, which uh, seems like Wait. a mistake. Um, yeah. So, yeah, higher progression. So, also, it feels like, oh, this feels like the best type of Mario RPG we're going to get. It's just a lot packed into this thing. Uh, yeah, everything you're saying, like, except for the star bits part, that's a, that's a huge mistake. <laughs> huge like, mistake. Everything you're saying sounds great, honestly. Like, that, to me, doesn't... The... the Order of implementation thing doesn't sound like a lesser tactics thing to me. Yeah. It just sounds like they are they are trying to not obfuscate it, but trying to casualize it a little bit so people can yes. like get into it. Because I think some people see grids and their mind just glaze over. Yep. They they don't want to do whatever this thing is asking them to. But like between what you're saying and the the Nintendo Direct showing a couple of weeks or a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Something the Ubisoft forward showing that was it where they were like. It was pretty much straight up a Vandal Hearts level of like being on a train next to a giant wiggler. Yes. Like that that is what I want. That is like the best parts of that original game. And those are like some of the best parts of tactical RPGs is trying to make that desperate last movement to just end this battle to as quickly as I can. And that's what I think made the original game so good was yeah, it wasn't that hard to really finish a battle, but to finish it cleanly and to finish it quickly were ex- exponentially more difficult. And I think I'm really excited to just do more of that to like think of this game as yeah, I can beat this guy in chess, but how fast can I beat him? Right, right. And they have different objectives for some areas like, okay, this area you have to get over to the end. I mean, kind of like an XCOM 2 situation. I'm trying to remember if XCOM Enemy Unknown, you also had those where you said to get to the spot to accomplish the mission. Um, But uh, yeah, I'm curious to see from like the tactics hardcore community, how they approach this thing, if they can break it wide open. I feel like they've added enough complexity in the tactics that I don't think you're going to be turned off. It's not simplifying it. It's just adding so many other elements and like raising all the levels from the other stuff in this game that hopefully it'll approach and, you know, engage a bigger audience. But they said in this um, presentation that 10 million players have checked out Kingdom Battle. Which mm. I was trying I mean, to. It got cheap for a long time. Like it yeah. got cheap fast. And didn't they? Like, did they have like a free weekend or something? I feel like there's some there's some catch to yeah. that. Almost certainly, I'm sure the, there was like the a switch online. One thing. game with Mario in it that dropped below sixty dollars right? at any point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like Ubisoft. They've had a rough couple of years, and I don't know how I feel about their future, but it just, it feels like a a beacon of light, a spark of hope, dare I say, for like <laughs> Ubisoft development, where it just feels like, okay, here's something I can really sink my teeth into from them. I, I can definitely tell you, like, uh, this is actually different people from the Ubisoft people are talk- I was talking about before. There are people at Ubisoft who are like, we really need spark of hope to hit well, because yeah. we want a win before Skull and Bones comes out. Yeah, yep, makes sense, for sure. Um, they should put the rabbits in Skull and Bones. They should. They should put Rayman in Skull and Bones. That's, <laughs> that was the win that Sparks of Hope like got in that last Ubisoft forward. They should just apply it forward to other games. Yeah, we didn't talk about it on the podcast, but yeah, for the future DLC for Sparks of Hope, Rayman's going to be coming in, which is going to be cool to see Mario and Rayman interact that way. 
the the game whose name I can't remember that um, it was a sword fighting game with the different eras like Vikings versus samurai. Well, who can for forget? Honor. Yeah, for, for honor. honor. Yes. yes, they put rabbits in that. Rabbits in that. So. Oh, yeah. that is right. God, I that game is still that. going. They're still Wait, making up. Is that a? That's not a bit. They no, did that? they really did that. I think it was an April Fool's Day thing, but it was like a playable thing where they were in there. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, little bullet point too. Uh, there's no multiplayer this time around in Mario and Rabbids. Last time it was like I, I didn't realize there was multiplayer in the first one. Yep, I forgot about it as well. But going back and playing it on the flight back, I was like, oh geez, yeah, I guess there's multiplayer in here. So yeah, no multiplayer this time around. But yeah, I'm curious to see um, how this thing lands. But I'm very optimistic about it. So it's coming out October twentieth. Cool. Um, Imran, you went to Tokyo for God's sake, the Tokyo Game I Show. Did. Um, we we talked a lot about like Dragon Ishin before, Street Fighter Six a little bit before. Um, what do you think was like game of the show over there? Uh, f- for me, so before I do any of this, I want to say Please. Sega flew me to Tokyo, so keep that in mind if be- when you listen to me talk about any of this stuff. Okay, but my game of the show was probably Street Fighter Six. I think every single time I play that game, it is my game of the show. It is better and better every time like they're working on the builds, they're working on the character. It just feels so good to play. I am far from a fighting game scientist. I'm like, I'm not even someone who really plays fighting games that obsessively, but like, I know the difference between what feels good and what doesn't. And Street Fighter Six feels so much better than Five. It feels like an entirely different game. I can't, in a, in a year, like next year has like Starfield, it has Zelda, it has so much stuff just jam-packed into its scheduled uh, scheduled calendar year. Yeah. I think there's a legitimate chance that like people might be talking about Street Fighter 6 as Game of the Year next year. Jesus! Red Hot! Wow. That, right. that last trailer, that uh, World Tour trailer, that was awesome. Like that tease early on of seeing a character run around some sort of back alley, overworld style thing, and people are wondering like, is this going to be like Yakuza? Like, what is happening in between this here? Yeah. Um, it is, it is going to need more rain, though, if it wants to compete with Tekken 8. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, can we get some reloading muscles? Yeah, come on. <laughs> they're not even trying. But yeah, the World Tour, Imran, did you get to check that out at all? I didn't get to check that out. I did talk to the directors, Nakayama and the producer, Matsumoto, about that a little bit. Yeah. And they did. They said that the their main ga- aim with the single player is, yeah, we could do the animated movie thing again, People didn't really like that last time, but like it's easier, quote unquote, or not, unquote, not to quote them. So it's like it is an easier thing to do. But we wanted to make a mode that teaches people what's good about fighting games, what what people love about fighting games, like not just winning or losing. It is like the, getting better how to how to play a fighting game and actually enjoy it. And I think that is a very smart idea. I really can't wait to see how they pull it off. Yeah, but I've heard so many developers say that before about fighting games, but that just means like really thorough tutorials. Whereas this is like, oh no, you're running around in a world and fighting the original crew from Street Fighter 2. And so it feels right. like it's going to be in a more fun package, a more silly package even. Yeah, they, they want to make they want to make a generation of Street Fighter fans that was like our generation growing up playing Street Fighter 2. Right, the, right. Like the first time you see, oh wow, this is, this is something I've never really seen before. You can't really have that moment again with a Street Fighter 6, but you can create a new group of people that are like oh i see why people like this i see why like people watch evo and they get hyped watching idom like pull a run through the the loser or through the loser's bracket like this is i I, i've only played like bits and pieces of this demo just like i've not really ever sat down and really like uh, i would not call it labbing in any sense but i would say 
everything I've played has been so fantastic that when this game comes out, I I want to become one of those Street Fighter sickos. I want to be <laughs> one of those people that like understands the difference between uh, the the frame data of Ken's uh, Shoryuken and Ryu Ryu Shoryuken. That's like amazing. this is. Like you're, 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 you're getting a lab coat shipped to you from Amazon right now. Uh, yeah, almost certainly. I'm, I'm going to get uh, either a lab coat or a straight jacket. Either one yeah, is, gonna, <laughs> is like how I feel about this game at this point. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. Street Fighter 6, everybody. Um, did you get to play the PSVR 2? Yes. I mean, that's huge. What a get. Thank you for being on our podcast to talk about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I played it with uh, Resident Evil Village with the VR mode. Okay. All right. Yeah. I forgot that they're adding that to it. Okay. So PSVR two, the whole next generation thing, um, has a feel, has a feel to slide that sucker on your head. So I, I have a couple of VR headsets, including the PSVR on the Oculus and the Oculus, uh, quest. And like, I say the PSVR, the original is probably the most comfortable one of the ones I own. It's not like the technologically best one, but they know comfort. They know how to make like ergonomically that thing fits right. It yeah. feels good on like your head. doesn't feel like it's weighing you down. This feels like 10 times more comfortable. Like it genuinely feels like, oh, they, they spent time making sure this thing feels better than the Quest to wear. It is, it is still a wired headset, which is, I think might be a deal breaker for some people. But it is like m- m- so many fewer wires now. It is the it previously you had like three wires coming like with a headset and like all that stuff and going yeah. to a breakout box. That breakout box went through the PS5 or PS4. That was a huge cumbersome process. That was annoying. This one's just one USB-C cable from the headset to the the console, and that's it. That's and nice. Like, yeah, it, it, you can use whatever lo- length cable I assume you can you want, so you can stand up and move around. It's not going to be that big a problem. But like. In terms of you put this thing on, they made it intentionally so you can see outside from it now. So it's not like completely blocking your vision. Uh, Mm. You can like you you're not going to like trip over your cat while you're playing this game. Wasn't the whole idea they had like cameras on the front so you can do that see through. You you can do that too. So like there's a double up on that. Like a screen door effect of um, screen door effect is not the right word, but there's an effect of you being able to like kind of get a little bleed from your eyes that it's not actually distracting. It is like actually useful to be able to see and you can see with like cameras to be able to like look around and the cameras are actually like useful they're higher high resolution that like and don't seem to uh don't seem to lag behind all that much uh is that the, is that pass through camera in color uh i don't recall because i was at tokyo right. game show in a dark booth <laughs> i don't, I don't right. think so from the okay. other previews that i've seen okay uh how was the but, um the big thing was like the headset feedback where they put a rumble in like the visor, which sounds like a yes. very silly idea. Did you feel it? So there's like, there's like a part where Lady Dimitrescu, the, the very tall vampire lady who they very much encouraged me to like, look up, look how tall she is. Mm-hmm, and like, mm-hmm. that's their thing. Uh, she puts her hand on the side <laughs> of Ethan Winter's it. face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they put, she puts her hand on the side of Ethan Winter's face and you can feel it. And like, on the oh, side? That's, like across, like a, around like the side of the the headset, so oh, like about no. the size of the headphones here. There was there were times that like things would go flying past my uh, my head, and you could like it would vibrate. There was a part where a window broke and the wind came, and you could feel the wind like coming over your head. What? Yeah, that's it. Like wild. it didn't feel like wind; it felt like a sure. sensation. Yeah, it's like the dual sense, effectively, yes. right? Like, like, okay. and, and I that's imagine cool. eventually it'll get like as rote or as unused as the dual sense features are. Yes, yeah. But like at the time demoing it, it was very cool. 
That does seem neat. Yeah, I was kind of... So they released a new uh, video on Wednesday with their new slogan, PSVR 2, feel a new reel. So if anybody's interested in feeling a new reel, check it out, please. But I was, I was a little bit worried when they're running through the features and like the third feature that they highlight in the trailer is foveated rendering. I was like, okay, we're, we're at a point where who's like yeah. on the fence and they see, wait a minute, foveated rendering, sign me up. Uh, I will say like with the new headset, the higher resolution and with better graphics, we're getting to a point where like, I think the technology of VR is kind of matching the potential of VR. Okay. That we're actually getting to... Like I like I like the PSVR in terms of how it was supported and how comfortable it was, but like it was lower resolution and the graphics were not because the you have to render something twice once for each eye. Yeah, and I think this looked like Village. It looked like what I played a Village on a TV screen, and cool. it looked good like wearing a headset. So I didn't like playing Resident Evil Seven in VR. One, it made me motion sick. Two, it uh, it just didn't look as good as the actual pl- like playing the game on a TV screen. This was fun. I could see myself playing this as a main version of this game. Yeah, that's sweet. Yeah, I mean, I I continue to think about. It. I'm I'm very excited for the PSVR two, even though I haven't touched it. But like, you know, my PS five is now has has basically the same specs as my desktop desktop computer, which is what I use to play like Half Life Alex and stuff. And it's like, if VR games never look better than that. I'm pretty much fine. Like it, like <laughs> it looks r- good enough that I can be completely immersed in it. And knowing, you know, that that they can make things specifically for a PlayStation and not for every possible PC, I really think they're going to be able to get some crazy stuff out of this if they have developers who are kind of given the time and money to do it. Yeah, yeah I'm a. I was pretty bummed out seeing that it's not going to be backwards compatible. Yeah. yeah, that that's sure. surprising, and I know this is very niche, but I feel like there's so many PSVR games where I I you know borrowed a PSVR a couple times and played a couple games, but there's still a handful that I never went back to. And now that idea that oh, I I understand it's a technological hurdle, but I feel like when you're dealing in the VR space, you need to have as much software as you possibly can. You really need yeah, to I support the hell I, out of this thing, and it's such a weird what, decision. What other than Astrobot? Would you really want to play from last gen? Do, well, there's uh, uh, Iron Man. I never played Iron oh, Man. Oh, that's Iron a, good one. a good example. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say Monster of the Deep as a joke. The Final Fantasy 15 fishing game. Uh, so this is genuine. Uh, uh, and also, real quick, not a joke. Resident Evil Seven. Yeah. Like I, I would say, Hitman. Rock- yeah. yeah, Hitman is like a, a surprisingly good VR. Like they could update all this stuff. Like the the new technology they're using in PSVR VR two is more similar to VR headsets like the Rift and the Quest in terms of like the way the tech works, yeah. that it is very easy to port all that stuff now from, like hypothetically, let's say Half-Life Alex, uh, yeah. from the Vive to uh, the PSVR 2. So if those companies that are still around want to like update those things, it shouldn't be that difficult. Well, again, relatively. all relatively speaking. Yes, yeah. yeah. Like it is also, all, everything's difficult with game development, but yeah. yeah. Also, Jacob, there's the free Last Guardian VR experience. Ooh. That's true, which almost certainly will not get updated. So that no. one, uh, <laughs> I've changed my mind. Uh, I just, though, I feel it, like it's one of those things where it's like everyone wants backwards compatibility and then never uses it. I hear you know yeah. that that like backwards compatibility in general is just one of those things that like people request much more than they actually take advantage of. Genuinely, and this sounds like a joke, but I swear it's not. It, I really wanted to play, finally play the Groundhog Day game 
Groundhog Day like father like son, which was only released on PSVR and just no one ever talked about it. But I want to experience that thing. I don't think that's is that true? Only PSVR? I believe so. I don't think it ever came to anything, did it? Pretty sure it's on Oculus. Really? Deja vu of this exact conversation we had at Game of Hand in mine. It's no, it's on it's on more things. Exactly uh, my point. It launched on PSVR. It might have launched on PSVR first. Oh god, yeah, you're right. All right. Well maybe it's less special than I imagined, so maybe I could just put it on. (laughs) I tried to tell you to buy a Quest 2 headset before the price went up, Hanson. I sent you a DM and you dismissed me uh, speaking of which the the rollout for psvr 2 so far has really been perplexing um i feel like we are well past due for like a state of play fully devoted to the psvr 2 it's just been like pockets here and there here's a playstation blog post here's a game during a state of play that's psvr 2 supported it's just been like this hodgepodge whereas i like you lose track of wait when is this thing coming have they announced the price yet i feel like i just need the core messaging splash of psvr2 here's all the games bam and they haven't revealed the price haven't revealed the release date i assume that that big state of play is coming right imran do you have any thoughts on like how they're going to announce this i think there's probably there's two major factors one i don't think the games are ready to show because thus far they've not shown a like psvr2 original they've showed like horizon i guess yep. as like the original the game mountain. but like yeah they've not i think what they probably want to show is like whatever team asobi is working on yep of like the next astro astrobot whatever mm-hmm. uh the other thing is i bet that price is going to be real high yes i bet it's going to knock our socks off when we hear it they're probably trying to get as much marketing in front of you as possible yep. before they announce that thing and you write it off in your head. Yep, I think that's exactly what it is. They're trying to butter you up. Um, so the last one launched at $400. Do we think we're going 600 for this? I think it, I have seen people suggest, like people who would know, people suggest that like the bill of materials in this thing could warrant a $700 price. People wow. are going to lose their minds. That's the cost that of a high. PlayStation yeah, I mean, 3, if it's, depending on the If game. it's above uh 500 i feel like people i mean no, no matter what price it is people are going to be mad i was thinking 500 is like the upper cap on yeah. this i think they take a loss just like sell it at like 500 yeah, yeah. boy who knows but yeah we'll i mean see. that index is pretty successful right at like a thousand is it i don't, I don't know like, no. like, i really like... don't know anyone with an index <laughs> I, yeah. I well you know one person but um okay. i have it's an index me. but it's not me to be clear so. <laughs> um but I, I I feel like it was always on the Steam charts is like really high up there. But it could in revenue I know that much because it's a thousand dollars. Like it sells. That's tricky. Yeah, I, I'm still really curious about what uh, Mizuguchi is doing for PSVR yes. two. I want to see what that big game is. Um, so there's stuff that I'm He's really curious salivating about. Salivating over that vibrating headset. Oh, like, can yeah. you imagine how much <laughs> he's going to lose his so mind on that? <laughs> I will say one thing I discovered is that like in Japan, they still like they're still very interested in VR. They want to keep doing VR stuff. Like I feel like the the conversation's kind of moved on from American developers, mm. but Japan they still they're very into it. Like there's there's genres in VR in Japan that are not being touched in America. Like uh battle royales and relative like hmm. multiplayer shooters visual novels like all those things are happening there that i'm surprised like i guess the vc funding is kind of dry, like dried up in america mm-hmm. but i i am interested to see like with psvr2 coming out and with it most likely going to be at least a, a mainstream success on the scale of psvr1 yeah i want to see if like maybe they can bring some of that momentum back um, another game saying visual novels just reminded me of it. another game that I want to play in the old PSVR library is the Penn and Teller game. 
where it's Penn and Teller VR, frankly, unfair, unkind, unnecessary, and underhanded, where one of the modes in that game is you just play as Penn Jillette sitting in a room, slowly turning the pages and reading all of Moby Dick. They just, like, modeled all of Moby Dick in VR, which sounds cool. There's also, I think, Duracene? That's PSVR, oh, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the basically Miyazaki a point game. click. I, yeah. I think about that game a surprising amount, actually. I, I'll think about it every couple of months and be like, why am I thinking about that game? I think it's Weird. because, Kyle, this sounds like a diss, and I'm not trying to make it seem like a diss, because you and I are on the same page about basically everything. But what? I think you like feeling like a little bit of like, I've played a From Software game that other people haven't, and you kind of like that little high and mightiness yeah. of it. There's a little bit of that for sure, yeah. but I also have like because it's VR, I have like a like a weird I have weird like vivid memories of the sort of because you just spend so much time walking around the school, and I was like, man, I really felt like I was hanging out in that school for a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, Metal Hellsinger is a game that came out recently. This is the kind of it's basically 2016's Doom, but with a musical bent to it. Uh, hmm. From the Outsiders is the name of the developer, and then published by Funcom. But uh, Jacob. This seemed up your alley based on the demo, and how does the whole thing land for you now? Uh, indeed, it is up my alley. <laughs> okay. um, it's it's funny. There is another game that came out last year, maybe, called BPM, uh, Bullets yes. Per Minute, that is exactly the same concept of a, a first-person shooter with a metal soundtrack where you do things in time with the music. Huh. I brought this um, up to the developers. They were not happy about the comparison. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm yeah, sure sometimes yeah. games ideas are <laughs> like the same. Right. Sometimes it happens. Yeah, um, but this is better than BPM, uh, Mm. you know, to to compare the games they don't want compared. What this game has is um, a surprising amount of polish, I think, that it's it is like so the the basic concept is it is a first person shooter you're fighting through hell. Uh, The whole game is scored by a metal soundtrack and you are supposed to shoot and reload and do other actions in time with the music and as you do a multiplier builds up and when the multiplier gets all the way to the top the vocals kick in which Ooh, is your one favorite of those thing? cool things mm. um but it just like it feels great like the guns feel good to shoot it it feels good to move around the graphics are like d- decent um and and even though I'm not a big fan of metal kind of as a casual listener in this kind of environment, when you are like so focused on the actual kind of intricacies of the music, yeah, it, it works for me a lot more. You know, I guess I realized that it's like I don't like metal as background, but I think I do like metal, at least the stuff in this game, if I am like super focusing on it because totally. I am like doing all my actions in time with what's happening. Yeah, you need to find like it's tough to just listen to metal unless you're you're cool and hardcore when you're just like washing the dishes. But if you have the most metal activity to do while listening to the metal music, then it's mm-hmm. like, Mwah, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. They, and it, they it have just... said, by the way, that you will be able to put your own music in in a future update. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's going to be really funny. Very funny. Will they like reject um, it if it's not metal enough? They'll like analyze it and be like, sorry. They tried to get in put old, in an episode look, of This American Life. Old I'm going to put in Carly Rae Jepsen's Emotion Side B and they can't stop me. <laughs> I'm going to put in, um, this is a shout out to you, Jacob. I'm going to put in the, the full audio track of the movie Shrek. That's right. Just like <laughs> Beat Saber, the finest. Uh, so what do you think? One of your favorites of the year? Metal Hell Slinger? Hell Singer? You know, I, I think it is a, a rock solid game that's probably going to be around like 15 for me in okay. terms of like my Love actual it. favorites of the year. But like it's on Game Pass. It takes like four hours to play through. Like it, it's a game that I would 
recommend to pretty much everyone because the barrier of entry is so low. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I couldn't cover that game because it was it was published by Tencent, but I, mm. I played it at Summer Games Fest and I liked it. It was fun. Wait, but that's confusing. So is Funcom, does Tencent own Funcom? No, but the, the Level Infinite publishing label, which is a publishing label they use because people don't like <laughs> hearing Tencent games, uh-huh. is uh, publishing a number of different video games that I had to go like, yeah, this is fun. I don't think I can write about this without a disclaimer, right. and sometimes it's not worth a disclaimer. Right, right. Uh, um, I will say it has a um, what I would describe as an egregious Troy Baker performance. Ooh, uh, I'm where listening. There's just a lot of Troy Baker going like, she was a mean demon from hell, but she <laughs> knew. And it's just like, there's too much of it, but you can skip it. I That's love funny. it. I love it. Uh, and then there's this other game. I genuinely don't know anything about it. I think I looked at one screenshot, um, but it seems like the old uh, Giant Bomb crew, like Gersman and those folks are all about it. Hyper Demon is another mm. first-person game. Correct. Um, yeah. Okay, Imran, do you know anything about this? I only watched a video, and the video was incomprehensible, but I know en- I know <laughs> academically this is a follow-up to Devil Daggers, mm-hmm. which is like oh, a, that... Okay. Like, yeah, very hyperactive, like... The, a mainline sh- espresso shot of doom straight into your veins kind of game. Right, yeah. Like, and this is that, but as if seen through the lens of Jeff Minter kind of thing, that it is almost impossible to understand what you're doing until you, like, play the video game and start trying to get high scores and play, like, I, I guess, hook your brain into it. I am looking at the gameplay now for the first time. I like that video games can look like this. Yes. Uh, Jacob, have you played this thing? I, I played it for about an hour um, shortly before starting. It's it's incomprehensible while you're playing it. Uh, I'll <laughs> say it took me it took me a long time to figure out how to get a score above zero. <laughs> like <laughs> like like above the bottom. Yeah, you oh. get negative scores for just like yes, existing. Because- because it's your score is always counting down and so you you have to kill things in order to raise your score but like it will go into the negatives and it's so hard so like devil daggers was a game where your high score was entirely predicated on like how long you survived and surviving a minute in devil daggers was like incredibly difficult yeah this is this is that plus like it, there are a lot more mechanics. There's like dashing and there's there's power ups and lasers and stuff like that. Um, but it is it is just this kind of trippy, transcendental uh, nightmare, like truly feels like a nightmare in that. Like this is not what reality feels like mm-hmm. um, where you you learn to do things really fast. And the different enemies have kind of different ways of killing them that can combine with each other in cool ways but the reason that i'm going to keep playing this is uh what i realized when i got a score above zero which is that like zero currently is like number four thousand four hundred on the leaderboard because my guess is thousands and thousands of people have the score zero but when you get above that it shows your name Picking up like through a roulette wheel of every other high score that exists. And so when I got when I went from like zero points to like eight points and then died, my name went up like 300 names. Ooh. And then I and then I got to like 30 points and my name went up like a thousand names. <laughs> and so now I'm ranked like, you know, 1900 out of however many people have played. So it's like 
it's really intent on high score chasing in comparison with everyone else who is playing the game, which is just this like really cool way of experiencing it. Is it fun? Yeah, it's it's fun in exactly the same way as Devil Daggers is fun. So it is like, you know, just a a concentrated burst of adrenaline. Um, It is it is the purest form of FPS. If you like Devil Daggers, you'll probably like this. You should at least look up a trailer for Hyper Demon here because it is truly bananas. All right, Hyper Demon, everybody. Um, Kyle, um, you are excited to learn that there is a new fan-made but Valve-sanctioned, that fun slice of the industry, uh, VR mod for Half-Life 2? Yeah. I... Yeah, I did have it was kind of that weird confusing thing where I was like, oh, fan made. That's cool. I don't know if I want to like put in the effort to try it. Yeah. But then it was like, well, Valve like is, is giving their like approval for it. At, so I, I did, went through and, you know, got my quest all updated, went through a number of headaches. And uh, but I did get it running and I played through about the first two hours of Half-Life 2 in VR. And uh, it's it's pretty good. Like it, it, it it's pretty solid. It, it, it It's not perfect, but yeah. um. I had it's so funny. I I don't know if it's just me, Jacob. Maybe you're the same way, but like, I do find myself like performing in these situations. Like, like there's these moments where like Barney, you know, in the game sees you from a distance. And he's like, "Hey, Gordon," and I'm like, "Hey, Barney, what's up?" <laughs> Waving to him and like, and uh, you know, you're transporting Alex using like portals or whatever they call that technology in Half Life Two, and and uh, her dad's like, "Oh, I can't look," and I'm like holding my hands up over my eyes. <laughs> and, like, you got to do and it, and then you get yeah. a gun. And uh, it becomes very serious, and mm-hmm. uh, it it just it it's it feels good. It's a good port. It takes some of the lessons from Alex, and like, man, it just. I I'm finding that I really love VR experiences that I'm familiar with, like Resident Evil Four and Half Life Two, and there was one floating around uh, of a fan made Metal Gear Solid One VR mod. And it was like the you know you were like walking around in the sort of like PS one pixelated Ooh, environment. Oh yeah, and I was like oh, I want to do that. But yeah, like I'm very familiar with Half Life Two in these environments, and to be able to be in VR and sort of look around and look up and see the Citadel, and it it's just it's cool. It is yeah. it's a well done mod that's cool, and I think I will end up playing it more. Hmm. Right on. Yeah, I it's it's interesting because it's like. I think the things that Half-Life 2 was already very good at, VR makes better. Uh, and then the things that Half-Life 2 was bad at, VR makes worse. Um, so, like, swimming around and, like, climbing up ladders well, is ladders terrible. But they were also bad in Half-Life 2. Like, yeah. So it was like, oh, this is kind of reminiscent. Yeah, like but scale. Yeah. Scale in VR is great. And Half-Life 2 has some of the best look at this big thing in the distance. Of right, it. yeah. Right. There, there are so many things in Half-Life 2 that's like, like you peek in a door and you see something happening and then a guard sees you looking and shuts the door. And like doing that in VR just feels so natural where you're not like, I'm going to move my mouse to look at this door you're just like what's happening in there right and then and then someone shuts the door and so it feels like all of the things that they're attempting with like total total kind of immersion no cutscenes, whatever like that just works for vr and they kind of figured out what a good vr game feels like inadvertently by by never taking you out of control of the action yeah that's awesome uh did y'all see that uh that portal rtx the portal with ray tracing yeah video uh, also no. fan made i think and uh, valve sanctioned right 
Well, is it fan made? I guess, or is I, it Nvidia I it made? Was maybe I'm confused. I think it's just Nvidia supported it in some way, but okay. maybe it was technically coming from fan base. But uh, Kyle, I don't know. Did that do anything for you to see like a new super sexy version of Portal out there? Yeah, it's exciting. Like okay. when it comes out, I'll I'll check it out. I mean, it's basically it's almost like in that weird remake territory right where it's like it just is a it just made everything shiny i'm watching this trailer yeah right yeah now. it's super shiny but yeah the lighting's all over the place i mean in a way it looks more impressive than like last of us part one in some ways if you just want to see like you know pre and post screenshots of what they're doing here uh but yeah i'm curious to see it's going to be free apparently yeah. when it eventually comes out so it's an I'm excuse to, to replay portal one sure yeah Maybe a million of those hey there we go i'm trying uh, like there's a lego game i'm trying to find the name of that is like uh, it, probably the Builder's Journey. That's what it's called. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is the the best example of ray tracing I feel like I've ever seen in a video that's game. That's funny. It, it's a gorgeous it, like, game. It actually shows you how, like, what the technology is in a good, uh, digestible way mm. of, okay, it makes this stuff look this much better. Yep. Like, this is how, like, sun would look in a Lego brick, a thing I understand. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, we should bring in an expert to talk about Escape from Monkey Island. I'm sorry, oh, please forgive me. Return to Monkey Island. Um, so let's see, this is going to be complicated. Uh, Jacob and Imran, do you want to clap out at the same time? But we'll be coming back and gather together for community questions in a bit. So are you ready to make room for somebody else? Three, yep. two, okay. one. Oh my God, we are joined today by the co-director of the Video Game History Foundation, but not the one you're used to, Frank Zafaldi. <laughs> the the other Kelsey, is here. yes. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I don't think you've been on before, have you? I've never been on MinMax. It's, wow. uh, it's, a, it's a great source of disappointment in my life. Well, um, now you're you here. You sound offended, frankly. Yeah. Uh, and you should... Take offense at that. Yeah, well, you know, it's not my fault that Ron Gilbert took so long to come back to Monkey Island. If you would have done it years <laughs> ago, we could have made this whole thing happen. But uh, you seem like a lot of this from Twitter and your passion for history, but you seem maybe like the best person to talk about the miracle that Return to Monkey Island exists in the first place. It's almost like I like his games. It's almost like there's this Maniac Mansion poster like <laughs> literally behind me in my office right now signed yeah. by the entire dev team or like this uh, uh, Monkey Island poster elsewhere in the Video Game History Foundation office. Oh, wait, wait, go which... down. Just go back and go down just a little bit. Uh, look at the... Yeah, what's, there's, there's something there too. Oh, yeah. more Monkey uh, Island Oh, yeah, stuff? that's, that's uh, the photo booth from PAX. Yep. yep. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, this is cool. This is a this is a Game Boy camera selfie with me, Kelsey, and Alexi Pashinatov. All right. Okay, that's <laughs> okay. That's the best. That's the best. Shut down the internet. <laughs> Nobody can top cool. that. Uh, no, it's not that I have you. Um, obviously, Secret of Monkey Island. Kyle, probably, I'd imagine we're on the same page where it's like, we're big Tim Schafer fans in particular. We appreciate old adventure games, have played pieces here and there. The only one I finished uh, in terms of the Monkey Island line, please forgive me and cover yours, Frank, is Escape from Monkey Island. But I've started uh, Secret of Monkey Island 1 and 2 before, and so I have like a deep appreciation for it, but that's my perspective, diving into this thing. And Kyle, I assume you're in the same boat? I played them when they remade them for Xbox Live Arcade. Right. That's when I played and enjoyed them, like more than I thought I would, honestly. I kind of went in with expectations of like, eh, these might feel kind of dated, but I was like, oh no, these are very funny and fun and thank god for the hint system but yeah enjoyed them so i should i should give my origin story yeah, please. Here then yes, with, please. with these games right which is that um the original came out in 1990 uh, i first played it uh in 1995 and uh at the time i would have been maybe 13 14 something like that and that was the game that woke me up 
in terms of like, <laughs> oh, games can actually like say things. They can right. be funny. They can have character. You know, like I was just playing Nintendo or whatever up until that point. But like the secret of Monkey Island is is the game that sort of warped me and and, uh, you know, kind of led me on this weird path uh toward getting into games as, as a as a career and i don't know lifestyle it feels gross to say no, uh fair. we can take that and back. yeah what's that i said we can take back games as a lifestyle it doesn't have to be a dirty thing yeah yeah <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to be a capital g gamer that's right to be a gamer um <laughs> and so i played the first one and then i played the second one and then um i am of the perspective and this isn't terribly uncommon that once the original creative team was no longer involved in the franchise, starting with the third game, it just kind of became its own separate entity. Mm. Uh, I feel like the first two kind of had something to say and everything else was, I don't know. It's kind of like when creators leave a comic book or something, right. And like other writers try to pick it up and they weren't quite picking up the same threads that you were as a reader, you know, like that's how I feel about the series. So for me, the first two monkey Island games are like monkey Island. The other ones are, you know, they're, they're, they're okay. Adventure games on their own that I'd probably like a lot more if they weren't monkey Island. Right. Put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you mentioned being like a Tim Schafer fan. I am as well, but, but like, I think what I've come to realize over the years is that, uh, I'm not an adventure game fan. I'm a Ron Gilbert adventure game fan. I just oh, his games specifically for me um, really speak to what makes this genre so interesting. And 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 his games are very. I'm still rambling here. I'm just no, going to no, do. No. I don't care. I'm on your show. That's, yeah, it's my hour it, here. <laughs> uh, I find his games to be um, all of them to be semi autobiographical. Uh, I find Death them Spank? all to what's that? Death Spank? Uh, I didn't play Death Spank. Actually. Okay, <laughs> Mister uh, Historian. I, I was actually thinking about like Monkey Island, maybe Thimbleweed in particular. Yeah, um, I find them all to to play with the genre and the conventions of what it means to be both a creator and a player. And I just I find them all really uh, fascinating. And um, I'm going to stop before I start talking about this new one because yeah. you're, you're going to ask questions, I'm sure. Yeah, I think so. So, so the big thing here, Return to Monkey Island. This is for us. It came completely out of the blue. The idea that Ron Gilbert uh, and also Dave Grossman are coming back to the series after yeah, since 1991 is the last time they touched Monkey Ooh. Island. 92. 92, yeah. is that right? Okay. Um, so it's a... Uh, well, actually, and to be clear, both of them sort of worked on the Telltale series. Oh, is that right? I didn't know Ron um, Gilbert was involved in that one. He was consulted. Okay. And Dave was like the head of design at the studio. That's right. That's so, right. Okay. Uh, I don't think the two of them were like heads down. You know what I mean? I don't think they wrote any dialogue or anything like that, but, but the two of them did tinker in the world a little bit for the Telltale series. Okay. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so booting up this thing, this miraculous return. Frank, walk me through your emotions. How are you feeling? And by the way, just a full disclaimer, I was charmed endlessly by the opening of this game. Um, and so I don't think I even want to spoil kind of the structure or the opening if you yeah. catch my drift. I think it's like a fun thing to experience on your own. But maybe just setting it up, just to cut off uh, your answer before you get to it. Just setting up, I think it's fascinating <laughs> because, correct me if I'm wrong, Frank, being the expert here, but the end of The Secret of Monkey Island 2 
reveals yeah. where it like pulls back and it turns out Guybrush Threepwood um, and the big villain of the series, they're actually just brothers playing pirates and it's all a story within a story. Right, they, they are, and, and specifically it's not, they're, they're younger kids, right? right. Like, like right. the implication uh, from the end of two is either that the entire time these were two kids role-playing in a pirate-themed amusement park uh, or um because at the end of at the very very end of two, uh, the the kid stand in for the series villain, the Chuck kind of looks at the camera and lightning flashes in his eyes. So the implication might be this is some some tomfoolery by LeChuck, some kind of voodoo spell or something to to make uh, Guybrush think he's a kid in an amusement park. That's exactly where two ends and exactly where Return begins. Which is amazing. But then everyone's like, but wait, they're incorporating the sequels, it seems like, in some yeah. ways with some characters. So how are they going to narr- narratively justify it? Do you think without revealing what they do, do you think they pull it off, Frank? Is it is it successful? Uh, I think that... I mean, there's a much deeper conversation to have here um, um, because I think, I I mean, I I assume I'm the only one here who's finished Return to Monkey Island. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like an hour. Hour and a half, two hours, something. Not not super far. Okay. Uh, I think my final was like nine and a half, just FYI. Um, Awesome. But I'm also just really good at these runs. I just, I don't know. I feel like I can read their minds at this (laughs) point. Um, uh, I think... Ultimately, a lot of what this game, I, I, like I mentioned, these games being kind of autobiographical, right? Yeah. Like, I think this is a game about Ron and Dave returning to Monkey Island. Like, it's called Return to Monkey Island. It's literally about uh, Guybrush going back to the setting of the first game, returning to Monkey Island. It's and it's like the series creators are returning to the franchise Monkey Island. Like, it, it's it's very sort of meta um, in in what it is and and. And going back to your question, I promise I'm getting there. Yeah. I think I think the ultimate theme here is uh and, and I I'm I'm not spoiling anything. I'm like reading between the lines. This is just like like headcanon, you know, fan stuff. Uh I think a lot of what they're trying to to convey in this game um is their acceptance and joy in having created something that inspired others to tell other tales within their world. Right. And I I think, I think especially for Ron, this might've even like been uh, an exercise in um, uh, becoming at peace with that idea. Like, I think there was maybe a time in Ron's life where, um, and you know, you could probably find old blog posts of his even talking about this, where, uh, he talked about things he would have done differently and how like the, the ending of, of the canonical three curse of monkey Island is something that he would never would have done. But, but I actually think a, a big theme of this game is the, the authors coming to terms with and, and joyously celebrating the idea that, that, that they have inspired others with this work. And I think that the way that I get to promise, I get back to your question, <laughs> the, the way that um, they very cleverly, make all of the games canon, but also have this resume uh, where two left off, not only acknowledges and celebrates all of that stuff in, in a really nice way, but uh, leaves the door open, I would say, for for uh, really anyone to, to, to play in this universe, um, whether in a commercial product or just in your own head. I love that. Yeah, uh, booting up this game, it's like I, I appreciate the hell of those old games, but I'm not emotionally connected to them, but still... The title screen for this game 
almost had tears rolling down my cheeks. Like something about <laughs> hearing that music and like seeing those names in the credits got to me just like a punch in the gut. It's been 30 years. I dude. know. Like, <laughs> Frank, I mean, yeah, I mean, what is your emotion playing through this thing? Do you like it? Do you love it? Are you emotional? Are you fascinated oh, academically? I, Where are you at? Um, I mean, it, it was kind of a, uh, to, to keep with the, the theme park theme of these games, right? Like, it's kind of an emotional roller coaster, I guess. Yeah. Like, because my, my feeling for the first, like, hour or so was just like, God, this is weird. It's like going back to your high school or something. Yeah, totally. Because, <laughs> you know, like the camera angles are kind of the same and stuff. And and like, I mean, just how brilliant is it that like these guys come back to this franchise that other people were handling over the last 30 years, right? And 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 the premise of the opening of the game is you're literally returning to the setting of the first game trying to do the actual thing that you did in the first game, which is like charter a ship and go to monkey Island. Yeah. And like, everything's kind of different now. The old ways don't work anymore. You know, like, like everything just kind of looks different and like, Oh, who's like, Oh, that shop went out of business. Oh, this new thing opened up. Like, like it's a game of charge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Right. Like there's a new governor. Um, it's just like, it's, it's so, clever and and i guess you know my emotions for a while were like god this is just weird i feel like i'm back like visiting my high school and then i don't know as the game progressed it's just like i very much lost myself in it and and i'd and, and i'd have these moments of like zooming out a little bit and being like oh my god i'm just like i have not felt this specific feeling since monkey island 2 which i played in i don't know 98 or something like that um like it's just like oh my god this is a monkey island game like <laughs> they did it right? you're right i mean it's it's very similar to when i played fallout 3 and then fallout new vegas for because for me new vegas was very much like it nailed fallout and 3 didn't Interesting. like mm. like playing new vegas made me realize that 3 what 3 didn't hit it for me um so um and then uh yeah, I don't want to get into the ending. No, um, please don't. Like, spoiler-wise, but I do want to say a little bit, which is that uh, uh, I think a lot of people are going to hate it, and I think it was perfect. I love oh, that. Interesting. I love that okay. take, for sure. Yeah, I mean... Perfect, and it was beautiful, and that was when I actually got emotional. Like, I couldn't ooh. sleep last night. Oh, I, I, God. Uh, That's so yeah. sweet. I love that. Um, and I think and I think if you kind of understand the heart of these games and these creators and and how the series has impacted people like like you might be able to really get this ending and 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 just it's it's beautiful yeah kyle i'm curious about your experience but like um from my perspective we just did the deepest dive our big game club series on uh indiana jones and the fate of atlantis so like mm -hmm. i just got done playing a lucas arts game from 1992 and there's a lot of stuff to love in that game in particular kyle the ending remember to tell you the ending at some point or one of the endings because it is truly bananas in a delightful way but well, i was to listen to the deepest dive yeah you know that's probably a good point um so i was a little bit fried on adventure games and a little bit frustrated by that game especially by the end um so i was like i'll start this up i'm just curious but Man, it is so smooth and so mm -hmm. easy to get into. I mean, the interface is just creamy, dare I say. And then like creamy, just, I yeah, like that. Just have <laughs> being able to hold tab and it'll show you everything you can interact with. They give you a hint book. It's like they are very aware of the genre and they're trying to soothe you into it, even giving you a choice of like, hey, do you want to play this game like a human being or do you want to play the hardcore crazy adventure mode? And I yeah. assume you did the the more advanced version, Frank? 
Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Do you know really what the difference is? Because from the beginning, I couldn't really see too much. I played both a little while. Well, right? if it's like Monkey Island 2, it's just that some of the puzzles are more complicated. Um, okay. You know, like you, you, there, there will be a solution that seems obvious and you do it. And then maybe in the hardcore mode, the, the person you're doing it to might be like, oh, yeah, I could do that. But here's a little extra complication. And then you, you know what I mean? It just kind of right. adds more layers to the puzzles, probably. Yeah. I'm only basing that on two. Okay. Um, but uh, if you don't mind, I want to talk a little bit about Fate of Atlantis versus this game. Uh, um, please. Which is that, like I said, I don't think I'm a fan of the genre. I think I'm a fan of of Gilbert's approach to it. And the, I don't know. I mean, are you like on, well, I guess you didn't get too far. Really. It's like chapter four where this game really, really opens up. But, okay. Um, the difference between like a Ron game and maybe a Noah Falstein game, uh, like fate of Atlantis is that, um, Ron really inherently understands that the way to keep a player engaged is to give them multiple balls to, uh, to to balance not to balance to uh, juggle 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 is the word i was looking for thank you um like at most given times in this game you can be stuck grinding on something right and and you can go to your like to-do list which is brilliant in this yep, game yeah um yeah it's nice and it's like there's usually like four other things to be working on and it and what happens is you go kind of play with that for a little bit the puzzle you were grinding on moves to the back of your brain and like uses different processes and like eventually the solution just kind of like surfaces again. Whereas fate of Atlantis, um, I like a lot of things about it, but I feel like fate of Atlantis was extremely linear. It's just like you hit a, you hit a locked door and it's like, you can't do anything but figure out how to get past this locked door. And so instead of like trying other things, you go look up the solution. Right, right. And they try and make up for it for like, well, there's three different branching paths, which are really cool and surprisingly varied as our experience. But I, I, I did you do all idea. three? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, we as okay. a collectively, like as a group, we did. It was just it. lucky chance that we all chose different routes to go through that thing. But uh, Kyle, what do you think of Return to Monkey Island so far? You know, I, it's, I, I, I'm liking it so far. It's interesting, Frank, what you're saying is like that you're not a fan of the genre, but you're a fan of Gilbert, you yeah. know, games. And I'm like, gosh, I wonder if I might be in the same boat. Because like I, I played those first two Monkey Island games when they got re-released, and I really enjoyed them. But really, any others that I've sort of dabbled with, I haven't really loved. You know, like Broken Age. I was like, yeah, that was cool. And like even going back and playing some of those Schaefer point and clicks, I never got super far. Yeah. But um, uh, that being said, like so far, I, I yeah, I'm really enjoying it. It's it's just clever, right? It's not like you're. It's not like laugh out loud funny it's a lot of just like oh yes that's very that's that's mm-hmm. good that is good job writers like you nailed it that's funny just the way even the tutorial is presented to you and like right. the way it works is just like so smart and fun and it plays with my sort of larger understanding of video games throughout you know my whole life and it's like that that kind of stuff is great like it's like a video game about video games to a certain degree with a very funny pirate sort of backstory to it yeah when um, that uh, when that lady in the shop she gives you a uh, the hint book, and she says, "Think of it like a book of hints." Yeah. <laughs> Guybrush says, "What is it really?" And she goes, "It's a book of hints." It's like I'm oh, telling you about um, the anchor in the beginning, right? Yeah, yeah. That stuff's period great. to skip. That's just, yeah, that's just good gaming. Well, yeah. and and also, I mean, you know, no offense to others who have worked on the series, but it's like 
I feel like other creators haven't really grasped the character of Guybrush Threepwood, um, and and these guys clearly do. And and my my favorite example very early in the game here is just the locksmith. Um, you've you've both gotten far enough that you're aware of the locksmith. Yeah, I've met her in town. Um, just that you can infinitely just point at the displays and be like, "What's that key? <laughs> What's right, that lock? What's right, that right, key?" Right. <laughs> and like she just and like that Guybrush's character is just this like. He's like eight years old, like, you know, just in personality. <laughs> well, he's, yeah. just, he's just a bratty kid who is uh, very annoying and destructive. And um, and and that's what you have to be to be an adventure game protagonist. That's interesting. You know what I mean? You have to be annoying and destructive and steal from people all the time and stuff. And like <laughs> Guybrush leans into that. Like he is the adventure game hero archetype. And I love that. Yeah, I guess, you know... I- it's tough to get out of the mindset of Fate of Atlantis because we've been talking about it for so long, but I think Indiana Jones kind of works in that degree too, where he's always going to be poking things, always going to be fumbling around, always going to be bugging people, you know? Like, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm looking yeah, forward like to Yeah, like Columbo would be a really good adventure game protagonist. Oh, don't tell Joe uh, Juba. He'll scream <laughs> thinking about that idea. Um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to finishing this off, you know, especially it seems like a great game to play on Steam Deck and whatnot. Kyle, do you think you're going to stick with it? Yeah, yeah, I will. My wife and I are playing it together. Like oh, that's that's one genre we kind of play at together. You know, Same. like I'm yeah. on the sticks and we're talking about it, and yeah, so we started it, and I, I think we'll keep going with it. Yeah, it'll be like one that we play for an hour every night for a couple days. That's cool. Oh man, I could talk about co-oping adventure games all day. It's so good. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's way it's to go. Such a good genre for that, and like, you know. Um, not that my partner is bad at games, but you can have a partner who's not very good at games and you can still pass the controller and have them drive for a while because it's just pointing and clicking. And yeah. It's just, yeah, I really like this genre for that. Yeah, absolutely. And we should mention, I, I love the art. It's a pretty wild, different art style. Rex oh, Crowell is the art director who we had on this podcast years and years ago talking about uh, Nights and Bikes, but they also were the creative director for Tearaway and worked on Little Big Planet at Mini Molecule for a long time. So it's got a really awesome kind of uh, I want to say charming, but you can't do that. Kyle, can you explain this art in words that aren't cliche? Uh, nights and bikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I, I don't love it as much as you guys, oh, really? but it's yeah, it's I it's I don't dis I'm not like I don't hate it or anything, but it does yeah. feel almost too different from the originals to me. Oh, well, we okay, but but if you actually lay out every Monkey Island game side by side, like this character nothing looks the same between any game. Right. Like one right. and two a little bit, but like yeah. there like no one knows what Guybrush looks like. There's no canonical <laughs> Guybrush three point. Um I guess I could also be going off of having my first experience being playing the remakes. Right, yeah. where they, oh, they like weird, yeah. up-res them, and then so that's my sort of vision of Monkey Island. And oh, I that's love the horrifying. thing I love about, <laughs> and the thing I love about that original game is being able to switch back and forth between the old visuals and the new visuals. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't. I, it's not like any. It's not this element of the game that holds me back in any way. Right, so, right, right. Some of the animation is like fantastic and really funny and silly. Um, pupils are too small though. Sorry. Okay. Like, yep. I get it. I get it. Uh, Frank, well, what what oh, I like yeah. about it real quick is that Please. I feel like it's going to be timeless because it, it is very high res flat imagery that's animated, um, you know, by kind of puppet tilting stuff. I don't know what the, the term is. Right. And, and I feel like unlocking that frame rate, uh, which you can actually do in, in, in an I and I file on the steam version, check the steam so, forms. Um, I just feel like, rate going. yeah. That's so funny uh, but because you're, because it's just manipulating the objects, like you can unlock the frame rate and um, not completely. I think 240 is where it maxes. Um, but my point is that I think kind of like Wind Waker, it's just going to always look relevant. 
You know yeah, what I mean? Sure. It's not yeah. it's not going yeah. to become dated, and I really like that about it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Frank, we got a lot more show to get through, uh, but thank you for being okay. here. Um, anything you want to plug before we send you off in your merry way? Uh, does Kelsey plug the foundation whenever she's here? Yeah, but this is your chance to one-up <laughs> her on the plug. Really, just give the plug of a lifetime. Oh, my God. Uh, GameHistory.org. Uh, we are uh, preserving video game history so that its stories can be told. Um, come check us out. Um, you know, if you like old video game magazines, let's plug this specifically. Uh, yeah. We have this really fun program where you can subscribe to old video game Smart. magazines. I will um, semi-personal email you every month a random old video game magazine and every dollar spent on that helps us to uh preserve video game history and and specifically magazines if you're into that we have um so far scanned i believe 1100 uh previously unscanned magazines thanks to the money uh uh, from this program and that's all been popping up on the internet archive so that people can go text search that stuff write articles and uh yeah, so go do that. Yeah, honestly, yeah. what's better than just getting a random old video game magazine in the mail? I feel like our audience is exactly into that type of thing. You can help support, you know, uh, preserving game history at the same time. So go check that out on their website, please. There'll be a link in the description. Uh, cool, Frank, right, I think, I so think my DoorDash is here, so okay, should bye. I clap us out? Yep. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, Jacob and Imran. You're just in time because I was just ready to ask Kyle. Um, Kyle, do you know how this whole thing operates? Uh, nobody knows, and there's no way of knowing, unfortunately. That's right. Unless it's a little bit like the secret of Monkey Island. You can find out the secret of MinMax by going to a secret URL we like to say is patreon.com slash MinMax with two ends, everybody. Check it out. Unlock a benefit there. We'd appreciate it. There's a bunch of different options for you. Find the one that's right for you and help support independent games media at the same time. And thank you to some of our biggest supporters, like I am 8-Bit. They want everybody to know about We Are OFK. The vinyl soundtrack is available in I am 8-Bit's wonderful online store. It comes with a fold-out uh, paper cat for the physical version of the game as well, which you can buy. You can buy the physical version of We Are OFK on PlayStation 5 or Switch. It's the special I Am 8-Bit exclusive edition. It's beautiful. Please check that out. Like everything in their store, it looks pretty damn good. Um, and because they're so generous, each and every week, uh, I Am 8-Bit ships out a prize to the MinMax community, whoever submits the best question over on Patreon. And this week, I believe for the first time ever, the prize that they're shipping out to the community is We Are OFK on PlayStation 5. It's the thing they're also highlighting. So this is hot off the presses. Um, so, reminder, you can go to iMatebit's wonderful online store, use the promo code LUNCHMEAT, all one word, for 10% off everything in that store. Or, or, and, you can also submit questions for the MinMax Show podcast and receive a prize from iMatebit because we need to remember who has the best question because they are getting We Are OFK on the PlayStation 5, a brand new damn game. All right, ready for questions, uh, Imran? Yep. Not you, Kyle. I know you are, because we're on the same page. Um, Kyle Hello, Lemon <laughs> writes in and says, Hey, MinMax team, uh, there, are, there are new Marvel games announced at a regular clip now. That's true. Uh, which one do you think has the most potential? The Marvel Spider-Man game? Spider-Man 2. Can yeah, you just think... run down what they are? Uh, Spider-Man 2, Wolverine from Insomniac, Iron Man from EA, there's a rumored Black Panther from EA, there's Midnight Suns from Take Two. Uh, there's the Amy Hennig game, uh, Amy which Hennig is Black game. Panther yeah. and yeah. Captain America together. There's Marvel Snap, like the um, game like from the creator of Hearthstone. No, I wish. <laughs> no, this is a card game. Um, I'm sure there's others. Oh, oh there's, there's the, uh, the Niantic one. Whose Niantic? Name is, yeah. Right. World of yeah. Heroes, I believe. Yeah, something like that. Right. Um, yeah, I was so confused about this announcement that happened this week of 
EA is like, oh, our Motive Studio, uh, the studio that made, you know, uh, Battlefront and Squadrons, um, and now they're making the Dead Space remake. Uh, they're actually going to be making an Iron Man open world third person game. Please enjoy. Where it's like, wait, D23 was last week. Why wouldn't you just <laughs> reveal that in the big video there? I don't I get think it. I was, I wish I could give them credit, but in the GameSpot Slack, someone was like, oh, somebody missed the video deadline. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I was like, yeah, probably. Why not just like announce it on stage with like a logo or something? Imran, you, you know the industry well. What the hell's going on there? I'd, I'd assume that either they didn't have enough to show, which maybe not true because there was some D23 announcements that were like nothing in terms of like stuff to show, or they wanted the space themselves so they can make this announcement and make it so it's very clear it's about hiring. They need uh, more people to help make this game, mm-hmm. and it's less about mm-hmm. hype. So I, right. they will okay. probably have the big reveal at some point in another couple of years, but like they're still making Dead Space right now. This way they can control the message and say, we, we're making an Iron Man game. Dead Space is wrapping up soon. Yeah. Please come help us make this. I know it's a licensing nightmare, but Jacob Giller, if you had to put money on it, is there going to be any cross-pollination between Isaac Clarke's suit and the Iron Man suit? Like DLC in one game versus the other, flippy-floppy. Oh, gosh. I mean, there in They're the so original close. Dead Spaces, they looked like the original Iron Man already. No, I don't think there's any chance. Going back to like back the, with I, those games? I don't know. They have I, to I, do the thing they did with Spider-Man of like putting in like every suit possible. Right, right. And you think one of them would be Isaac I just want them Clark's. to like give the Anthem folks a call and be like, you guys aren't doing anything with that stuff, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, we'll we just take that. that. Right? That's a good point, yeah. Um, yeah, um, I mean, we, we had talked about in that interview with Christopher Sundberg a while ago how um, Avalanche was making that Iron Man game years ago and so many people were like, oh, just give us an open world Iron Man game. So it's fun to now see EA be like, actually, we're doing that. Uh, please direct your excitement over here, please. Yeah. Um, back to the original question. Oh, yeah. I think... I think Spider-Man 2 will probably is the safest bet. Yeah. Um, but I'm really excited for Wolverine because I think they've said that it's a linear game. Um, am I making that up? I don't think they've said anything really besides yeah. Wolverine exists. I maybe maybe I just I assumed that or whatever. I would My love hope that. is that it's a oh just a linear Wolverine game, which I would be very excited by. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. Um, it's I, also I, one of the Super Marvel heroes. Like Spider-Man is one. And then Wolverine's another one who's like had some pretty good video games. Yeah, you know, they're not all good, but the most recent one was pretty solid. I enjoyed that one. Yeah, the Wolverine Origins game yeah. from like 2008, I think. Yeah, it had, it had lost references in it. That's how old it was. <laughs> was that the one that was rated M? There was yep. one that was like oh, yeah. a hard M. I think yeah. that was, a, it was like the last cover game for EGM. I oh, think, really? Right? Yeah. Wow. Was that it, was the one that that game had the lunge command, and I remember you you could use that on a helicopter, and Wolverine would fly up like thirty feet. <laughs> yeah, and he would pull the pilot out, and stick their head. <laughs> in the, yeah, the doesn't even place. need the Hulk to throw him. <laughs> um, I think I'm oh, most curious yeah. about that um, that Amy had a game, which they still don't have a name for, but. Uh, Mark Bernardin, who's writing for it, he's the co-host of the Kevin Smith podcast called Fat Man Beyond, and he was talking a little bit more about it, and it it really is intriguing where, you know, he said, like, okay, we're modeling it to be, like, a season of television, um, and we want it to be enjoyed by everybody. Oh, the Alone like, in the Dark 2008 approach. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's too easy to be like, oh, does that mean it's going to be shorter? Is that going to mean it's be probably a 10-hour game, something like that? I mean, that's too easy of a conclusion. But the interesting thing was he's talking about just how approachable they're trying to make it and specifically like with the controls and so Mm. it's like an action game with kind of like amy hennig reconstructing action game controls to make them more approachable i mean that's just a concept i really want to see so i'm sure 
I'm bracing for impact when hardcore fans find out how that game plays when they're going to be like, oh, baby game, they streamlined it, it's not even that complex. Uh, have but they ever climbed something in Uncharted? That's that's already what it is. You just right. hold up. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, simplified control is not a bad... Like, I would classify Arkham Asylum as simplified controls. Like, that is a game where you're really only doing, like, three things. Like, you were dodging, hitting, and... Uh, using the occasional gadget. Yeah. But like, it is also one of the more complex combat systems out there in terms of super, like, or was at the time. Yeah. If you could do something simple and still make it like incredibly complex. Yep. Yep. I think it's potential. Um, Solar Lancer writes in and says, Hey everybody, I just finished a trio of RPGs last couple of months, Legend Dragoon, Live Alive, and Yakuza Like a Dragon. I was thinking of a smaller game next, such as the Titanfall 2 campaign. I heard it was the best first person shooter story campaign what do y'all think is the best? If it's not Titanfall 2, what's better? I think it's Titanfall, it's Titanfall 2. 2. Yeah. Uh, it's Half-Life 2 for me. Jacob, settle this once uh, and for I, all. I, I think it's uh, Wolfenstein The New Order. Really? Um, yeah. The New Order I, I mean, specifically. It's, Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, like, sure, if, if you want... If you are judging entirely on like how how fun and different the levels are from each other, then Titanfall 2 is like, you know, is a candy store. But like Wolfenstein 2, I think or Wolfenstein 1 actually is just like a I don't know. It's a more interesting game. That game that game is ballsy in story the way that Wolf or Titanfall 2 is ballsy yeah. in action. And I like story more than action at the end of the day. Yeah. And Half-Life 2 has a gravity gun. That's true. Interesting. I will say this doesn't like this is not in the combination of best, and it's not actually a first-person shooter, but it is a shooter. Splatoon 3's single player surprisingly good. Like yeah. surprisingly, yeah, I, I didn't like one or two single player. Like, oh, they interesting. Felt, I, they felt too much like a very basic obstacle courses that felt like tutorials that like, and I didn't like this. They didn't have a sense of place because they were all just floating in space. Right. This one still yeah, it's very similar in those respects, but it like. The level design varies up more. There's uh, there's more kinds of different types of missions, like survive X thing, the uh, make it through a without getting hit once, those kind of things. And like the boss fights are very. There's a very on the nose Mario Sunshine reference in one of those boss fights. That's, that's like so surprisingly good. funny. I love that. Like I haven't gotten there yet. It, it's I I enjoy that single player more than I thought I would. Yeah, I see. Um, it's also it's it's hard uh, hard to compare. Because one's VR, but I like the Half-Life Alex campaign more than Half-Life 2, and I would say that's mm. probably up there in terms of it is a first-person shooter and it is a campaign. Yeah, but all that said, like, yeah, play Titanfall 2. It's like a nice, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's so six short. hours long. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like, a roller coaster. It's so after good. three huge RPGs, just like yeah, eat that delicious Titanfall cotton candy and just <laughs> nail it. Which is like four bucks anywhere, or I think it's on Game Pass now. Oh really? Yeah, because yeah. like I think of the EA tier. Yeah. Yeah. Oh sure. Uh, an attack corgi writes in and says, hello, hello. With lots of GTA 6 fans dragging Rockstar for an unfinished game looking unfinished, what are some of the roughest pre-release builds you've seen throughout the years? Uh, I remember when I saw the Arkham Knight demo the first time, it ran at like three frames per second. Oh, yes, oh. that's a great one. And then it only ran like that when it launched on PC. So it was night and day <laughs> difference. Yeah. So it was accurate. Yeah. I, I don't remember which game. It was my first E3, so it would have been 2012. And it was like a sniper, uh, you know, maybe like a sniper elite, you know, whatever that that uh, that, that series of like sniper games. Yeah. Sniper I played a build. Right What's that? 
Oh, there's that the terrible sniper games, which were like Sniper Ghost Warrior, right? It, maybe, yeah. But it was I played it at E3, and it was I didn't write about it because it was just like I was like falling through the world trying to climb up ladders, like absolutely nothing was working, and like the PR person over my shoulder, I could just see him just like holding his head in his hands metaphorically of just like this is terrible this is not gonna he this pulled his arms and his head inside of his t-shirt and just went in like a little turtle yeah. yeah the more i think about it i can't stop thinking about sniper ghost warrior is just the stupidest combination of three words it just sounds like a parody of a game what if ghosts were warriors and they only attack you <laughs> using a sniper? What if there was various day life? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, for me, it was probably Mass Effect 3. Because um, we went on that cover story trip uh, back at Game Informer, believe it or not. Um, and so it was like the first look at the game. And it was like suspicious because I, I vaguely remember it was just a situation where we like got to the conference room and sitting out with Casey Hudson and the rest of the team leads. And they're kind of like, all right cover story time ask us questions what do you want to know and it's like don't you have like a demo or like a presentation or anything it's like i guess we could ask a lot of questions about factory and then eventually they got to the point of showing us the game and it was like one combat scenario and it was maybe 90 seconds and then it crashed and i think they tried it a second time and it crashed and they're like all right, got any questions about Mass Effect 3? And it's like, ah, uh, yeah, I guess a few more. So that was, that was rough. But then Will that this game... be happening in the final game? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But all these things are pretty rough. I mean, Warcraft yeah. 3 Reforged, that was another weird one at Game Informer. We're like, that was so early. The, the version that we played was completely different from what they shipped, believe it or not. And like, we're asking questions about just how they're changing the story and all that stuff because that was one of the big pitches. Is we're like, we're aligning it more with World of Warcraft. And they're like, ah, oh, we haven't really written the script yet, and we don't really know how different it's going to be quite yet. Where it's like, what? Like, it's just so crazy to like be doing a preview for the game where they just have barely done the first stages of its development. But this isn't mine. This is a my colleague Miriam Strom went to a demo over Discord a couple of weeks ago, months ago. Yeah, and they were going to stream the game over their like Steam developer account, like log, like do the thing, log in, launch executable, all that jazz, but. Steam went down right when the preview started. Oh, no. So they just oh, didn't no. have any, they couldn't show anything. So they're like, well, here's some pictures we have of it on our PC. We're, we'll send you B-roll later. Oh, that's rough. Ugh, it's tough out there. Uh, Ryan writes in and says, hey, all I don't have a question, really. Just wanted to show my appreciation for Imran. I've always appreciated his insight on topics and how well he seems to mesh extremely well with any podcast group he joins. I hope he knows how loved and valued he is by the people who read or listen to him. I hope he lands on his feet quickly so we can get more of him. Mm. <laughs> Thank you so much. I I really appreciate like I it, obviously this is not a great like week for me, yeah. but like it was it's one of those things of I'm glad to know, or not glad, I am, I'm happy to know how many friends I have in the game industry by, like, people who have reached out, wanted to know how I'm doing, job opportunities, uh, job offers, like, they're, wow. they're, it is, I am not, like, I will be fine. I am going to be completely fine. Don't worry about me. I am more than likely, I've said this before, I'm more than likely just leaving Gamespedia. Like, this is, this has happened to a lot of people. It's happened to me twice in a row. At this right. point, I'm, it, I, it sucks how unstable this industry is. It turns turns people out in a way that I I can't do any. I'm tired of. I'm in, like, exhausted by it. But I can't not games right. Like I love <laughs> writing about games. I love talking about video games. I whether or not I leave games media, which at this point is like 99%. I'm going to. Mm. I'm probably going to keep doing stuff like this, like appearing on podcast. 
I'm also in a band. I, I think I know. I noticed yesterday in the Bombcast. Yeah. But I'd like to just talk about it here, too. Could you take, just, just do me a favor? Just act like it's your first time announcing it so we feel special and the Bombcast feels less special. I am announcing this for the first time. No Thank one you. has heard about this. Thank I haven't talked about it on Twitter, so actually this is kind of my first time. Uh, I am going to be launching a Patreon next week. Uh, it is... Nice. Prob- it is one of, like... It's mostly... It's not going to be this stuff. It won't be, like, videos and stuff like that. It'll be... I play games, watch movies, whatever, and write stuff about them. Yeah. I'm going to try and, like, get some of my old podcast people from Fanbyte back together and maybe record some of those so we can at least get them paid. Uh, I don't have a date for it yet. It's going to be next week sometime. I have a a call with Patreon as soon as this podcast is over to talk about some stuff. Uh, It was going to originally be this week, but I'm getting engaged this weekend, so I need to... Uh, hey, focus wait, on that, that announcement as well. Yeah, she uh, need to delay this podcast. She she know she knows where we're going. She doesn't know the details of it, but we're very confident that she does not listen to Min Max. <laughs> I know I know what podcast she listens to. Damn she doesn't it. have time to listen. To, Damn it! She doesn't have time to listen to any podcast. So <laughs> Min Max, she she likes listening to it. She's sure. a fan of Min Max. Well, she has a Min Max sure. sticker on her water bottle. She doesn't listen to anything. But that's like. Funny. I was basically I can't focus on that stuff right now because I I have this other thing to worry about this weekend. Right. But after right. that, next week I'm going to launch maybe kind of a ramshackle Patreon, but <laughs> I am also confident that like people subscribe to MinMax, they subscribe to Jeff Gertzman, they subscribe to Nextlander. Mm-hmm. There's a significant drain on people's resources to be able to subscribe to everything. So I'm trying to do things in a way that like yeah I want a little buffer just in case like things take a little while to sort out or whatever, but I don't want people to like give me way more money than they can afford to give me or, you know, pull away from stuff like this or other things they like because they're, you know, worried or not worried about me. They feel bad for me. I, I will be fine, but I want, I want to keep writing about games and um, everyone has always told me, Kyle, I think you gave me this advice once. Don't ever write about games for free. Like write, write about, write about it for, it's work. Write about it. Love it, but also get paid for it. So that's what I want to do. That's yeah. what it's going to probably, I will launch some, somebody suggested the name pros and cons as like pros, mm. like P R O S E. Oh, that's pretty con- good. Cage oh. As like my name. I kind of like that. So I might be going with that for my name. Yeah. So that, that going uh, ampersand or yeah. Pay that? attention to my <laughs> Twitter. I will have a, a launch date and all that stuff next week. Yeah. But right on. I, I, I absolutely appreciate everyone's support and like well wishes and all that. Oh, yeah. uh, if you have a dollar to kick me on a Patreon, that'll probably be a tier I have. Yeah, I <laughs> would. I would at this point yell at you for promoting a Patreon that isn't launched yet on a podcast because I think that's it's not the, <laughs> not the most ideal scenario. But I guess you know yeah. the the big weekend I, the coming is, up. Like, I get it. I get it. To, yeah, you have to hit it while it's hot, and I'm on podcast yes. this week. Right, and also like again busy this weekend i had yeah the venue where i was supposed to so we had one of our like favorite dates at a restaurant and a rooftop of that restaurant you, and, like, don't outline your entire us. engagement plan what are you doing you maniac uh, well it's a huge thing we had the the we had a picture of that place sitting in our our entrance of our apartment yeah and we uh i planned i gave them money and everything in deposit for to us to do the proposal there they emailed me last night saying, hey, sorry, we've closed permanently now. Ooh, <laughs> we can't oh, do that. No. So the last 24 hours have been a scramble of me trying to figure out what is going to let me do this in the next, like, three days. Oh, oh God. Geez. Good okay. luck. Um, now, I don't want to 
fully out too many personal details, so you cut me off if you need to, but I was floored by hearing from a little, little bird that you accidentally invited your girlfriend into a group discussion about her secret <laughs> engagement plans. So we, we have a mutual, like discord of mutual friends in it. Right. And I, I was not an admin in this discord. It turns out if you're not an admin and you create a channel, everyone just gets invited to that channel. Oh. Like you can't just pick and choose. So an no. admin has to be the one to remove that. <laughs> so I wrote the, I did the thing. Cause like the name of the place was going to be like, the, was like Canary. So it was like operation Canary was the name of that sure. site or the name of that room. And she was like, I immediately know what this is about. <laughs> so <laughs> you I, idiot. Oops, I, to be fair, to be fair, I, I have like, I asked her before all of this, like the official proposal right. was, you know, this weekend, but I'm not going to ask a question I don't know the answer to. Okay. <laughs> all right. Just like so, your uh, strategy in game interviews. Yeah. So Smart. she, she, she knows that we're getting engaged. Yeah. We have talked about this. We're planning it. We are already at the point of planning a wedding for next October. That's very but, sweet. So this is not a huge shock, but it was like an embarrassing thing of like, oh man, really discord you're gonna do me like this you're going to <laughs> just so can't good. even like because you can choose oh i want this member this member and this member right, right. this won't listen to you it'll yeah. just be like oh yeah you want everyone cool yeah um well yeah the ramshackle patreon as as you put it i would i would advise you come up with a mission make it clean don't mm. don't be modest in this situation don't do that thing of like hey maybe i'll do some stuff every now and then like Patreon with confidence is my message to a lot of folks out there because <laughs> I think a lot of folks do that kind of hemming and hawing. I guess they have one. It's no big deal if it doesn't work out. Like you got to lean into it if you want folks to believe in it, you know? Yeah, that that is my plan is I can't not talk about video games. I have right. to. Like I, if it's not here, it'll be on Twitter and it, I'd rather not do it on Twitter because that's, that's a bad place for talking about anything. Correct. So I might as well do it on Patreon where I can do all the stuff I've been too busy to do for the last like year. What what is your conclusion after the fanbite saga about the future of games press and games coverage? Um, I mean, it felt like an ideal scenario where you have a company as profitable as Tencent is funding games coverage mm -hmm. like fanbite, and it's like okay, I guess that's just the equivalent of a Bezos with Washington Post. So we just get to go in and do our job and have some stability, and then it turns out, eh, not so much. I mean, what what is the conclusion? Is there any hope? Give us the takeaways. I think, the, so the, the, the thesis statement of Fanbyte was, if you bring a good team together, yeah. and you have them do good work for long enough, then people will come. And I think that probably is still true. But convincing people who have money to keep funding that is a different question. And I, like, you, you guys are familiar with the fact that when we were working at GameStop, they they weren't doing well in retail, and that's probably why we lost our jobs. Was like, or at least Kyle and I lost our jobs then. Yeah. Was because they wanted needed to cut something to make up for or make an excuse for why they weren't doing it well. And then with Tencent, they were doing extraordinarily well. So it becomes a question of, well, why isn't every part of this company doing well? And oh, then weird. we lose our jobs there. Right. And it's it's one of those things of we have these two extremes. I don't know where game, good game journalism fits in the middle of that, but I know that we're in this weird media transition right now where there is a path. I think it is largely user-funded, like through memberships or Patreons or things like that, where you can do good work. 
It just, you have to have people who are there for the good work and not for the Google hits. And that is, I think, going to be a discussion that's happening in newsrooms for the next, like, five to ten years. But at some point, something's got to change because it is... The thing I always think about is, if Andy McNamara couldn't, like didn't stay in game journalism that I don't see how anyone retires from it. I think we all just kind of go to something else eventually. And that I wish that weren't the case. I would love for game journalism to be a space where people can do it for the rest of their lives. Yeah. But it's just some things aren't reasonable, I guess. Some things aren't reasonable. That is not what the current media landscape looks like. And I would, I, if I leave the media, I want to still be like on the outside trying to help shape it. So people, who are younger than me, people who are still coming up, uh, people who I've seen at Fanbyte who are just incredible writers can still like do the thing they love. Cause I love writing about video games. I lo- mm-hmm. like there's, I have been offered positions with developers and PR. And the thing I always think about is, yeah, but working on one game every day, that sounds so boring. I wanted, I want to write about a different game every day. And I, I want, even if I don't do that, I want people to be able to do that. Still. I want the, the, the next generation to be able to do that. Mm. So, Hopefully there is that Genesis moment where they can find that transformative thing. I think the defector model is maybe the ideal for defector that sort of thing. Defector model. I haven't heard that, and I guess I'm one so, of them. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, the, the defector model of, like, you you leave from a thing, and then you get, like, all these people who were your fans of your stuff from before yeah. to subscribe to a model for it. It's... We have talked about that at Fanbyte of what if we do that again, but it's so hard to do that, especially without people investing from the ground floor. And once they yeah. invest, they want their money back, and that that involves different things. But I I am happy with the work I was able to do the last two years. I was happy that I could take a month essentially off from my news duties and write a long expose about what happened at the phenomena of the indie developer by talking to employees for you know four weeks about the stories they had. Right. But like, I understand that's not reasonable always. Cause I know people want to make my, mo- the C-suite executives need to make money. Yeah. But I, I hope that somebody can take that model of let's, let's keep trying until it works. Let's just keep funding this thing until the audience does come and they do, they do appreciate the work we have. And I hope they can prove that it is profitable and it does work eventually. Maybe it's not the next try. Maybe it's not the try after that. But I hope within the next decade, somebody makes that game media revolution and it will in fact be televised. <laughs> or at least on Twitch with people be begging for subs, yeah. <laughs> I think is the way it works. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, um, Elise Favis also uh, yes. lost her job. And so uh, I've texted a little bit with her, but I don't know exactly what... Uh, State she's in job-wise, but last I heard, it seemed like she could use any leads, and she's a very talented writer here, so please reach out to Elise and send her some love on Twitter, Elise Favis, or uh, if you have a job opportunity where she can keep writing about games, send it her way. Elise is like a singular talent. Like, she is fantastic. She moves... Her role had changed so many times at Fanbyte based on, like, the different things she had to do, based on the pivots we had to make. Yeah. She did all of them. Like she would just go, okay, I know what my thing is now. And she would just do it. (laughs) And she she did that at Game Informer too. She was like, in my head, she she was basically a cat because she fit into any container you put her in. (laughs) Like she, she was, she is fantastic. Anyone who headhunted for something else and something better is 
they're making a deal at twice the price she got paid before. Yeah. Um, or maybe we'll all just end up at Gearbox someday. You never know. Right? <laughs> like old Andrew maybe Reiner. we can actually write a good Borderlands. There Who we knows? go. Hey, we'll see. Uh, Scott Gerald writes in and says, After a long time of being a naysayer, uh, I finally started reading One Piece at the end of August. I'm ashamed to admit I'm kind of a snob and didn't believe something so wildly popular could possibly live up to the hype. But I'm glad to admit not only was I wrong, but I'm completely in love with it and 700 chapters in. Jeez. Yeah, Kyle, you freaking baby. You're only watching the show One Piece. You got to read the manga, I just baby. I finished the 325th episode recently. Or as we um, call it, a yeah. good start. Did you see I mean, that? In uh, One Piece, it kind of feels that way. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The giant volume that they're printing that's literally yes. one book with well, everything. It's unreadable. It was, it's an <laughs> artist. It's, it's, yeah. It's not it's something you can project. buy. It's like an yes. art project. Yeah. But like, maybe it is, is the entirety of One Piece. In I thought one day. I thought that you could buy it, and it was just like a couple thousand dollars. I think uh, they only made twelve, so it's like twelve no, pieces okay. that like you can buy. Mm. Yeah, I think maybe they're presenting it as like an art project. Yeah. Is sort of the the weird idea, but yeah, I mean. It's Not like several feet up. long, basically. <laughs> it is. It is. One piece is very good. I just want yes. to say, like, okay. there's, okay. I, like, the the last the it, it it's kind of like it. I have teared up multiple times watching that show, like learning yeah. elements. How about far are you, like, arc wise? Any's lobby just finished. Okay, so you, like you've already the, you finished Water Seven. Yeah, yeah. Which Water is Seven. Great. Yeah, that's like, like probably one of my favorites of uh, elements. The the moment in Water Seven where. Usa or Luffy tells uh, Soga King to shoot the flag, and Robin yeah. says she wants to live. Is one of my favorite moments in media. That's like, wow. it is, what I'm talking about. It yeah. is so, like I teared up reading that. <laughs> that was like Hanson. Twelve they years. They basically ago. declared war on the world government for one of their friends. Yeah, that's cool. No, it's that's, insane. I like, it. I like it. I'm sure it'd be good. Um, yeah, I don't. This is. I feel bad admitting that I love this show and talking about this show because I think for years I was like, yeah, okay, there's that thing. And even my wife and I were like, we could watch this show, but come on, that seems kind of dumb. Um, but I started watching The Crown recently <laughs> on Netflix. That show Good freaking, timing. That show <laughs> rules. Yeah, it was absolutely like the most, you know, obvious move. Like the queen died. I don't really know a lot about the queen. Spoilers. Well, oh yeah. It's like, we should watch <laughs> The Crown because season one is about her ascending to the crown. But especially like watching it in parallel with House of the Dragon, I like House of the Dragon, but I like this more for just like, it's basically Game of Thrones, but focused on one house. <laughs> and now for the crown, it's just about Buckingham Palace, but it's fascinating. I didn't know so, so much of it was going to be about like the queen's relationship with Churchill and that dynamic. But have you, has anybody watched the crown? I've not seen the show. Okay. I've heard good things. watching one piece. It is genuinely great. And I, I scoffed at it for too long. And now naturally after the queen died, it's just been at the top of all the charts, but I'm glad at least it's, you know, there's a second wave of support. And so I'm glad that the support is going towards quality entertainment because it's, <laughs> it's really something else. Uh, is anybody, I don't know, Imran, you got something that you uh, held your nose up for too long about? Uh, I didn't watch Umbrella Academy for a long time and I'm watching oh, it now. Oh, interesting. And I, I really like it. Actually, It's actually a, an, it's a compelling show. I don't know that I'd say it's like good. Sure. Because like every, literally every season is the same. But like it's, <laughs> it's interesting and I keep watching it like, it does that good thing of at the end of every episode, they like, ah, oh, you got me. I got to watch the next one. You, mm. you got me interested in whatever that, that thing that just happened just is. Just a little hook. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Uh, Steven Woodson writes in and says, no question here. I'm just happy to hear from Imran. Wishing him all the best. 
Thank uh, you. God's I Garage. Appreciate all y'all. Yeah. God's Garage says, I'm so sorry to hear about the layoffs. It really, really sucks to be saying this again to you, Imran. I love your work and look forward to supporting you whenever you do next, games or otherwise. Thank you. Uh, and then Mike Lynch sends condolences by saying, we only have hair on our heads to keep our brain warm in case of hypothermia and protected from the sun, right? No. That's not the reason? I don't know the reason, but I don't think that's it. It has I to mean, be. That would imply that we didn't have hair before and hair came event like to stop a thing, right? Well, I'm fascinated by just by, yeah, I guess the evolution. I mean, I guess fish and, don't have hair, so that is technically... You know, if you go far back enough. I had placed Splatoon 3 single player for you. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird how, you know, what, Neanderthals? I guess we weren't Neanderthals, but, you know, ancient man. We've just been getting less and less hair, but it's weird, like, where the line stops. And the fact that it's such a... You think it'd be, like, a slow gradient for the hair, but the fact that, like, for hair in your head, it's, like, a clear line of, yeah. like, this is where evolutionarily speaking, we have determined you need to keep this up here. Yeah. A line that moves back for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> it's confusing. Um, yeah. And then what armpits you have hair for, mm. for babies to grab for babies to grab like little vines. And then pubic hair is for like pheromones to trap. Is that the idea? Like for the, babies to grab <laughs> Kyle, please. That's how they get out. Also, I think to stop bugs is one of the reasons. Wait, that's why I have a beard. Pubic hair. I mean, <laughs> we all we all got beards. Stop bugs. And like, I guess it, it's weird. So what? beards are so weirdly genetic dependent. So I I grew a beard when I was eleven. Shut and up. Serious. I will show you a sixth grade yearbook picture at some point. <laughs> you can see me like me with a, a like a beard like around this size yeah. when I was eleven years old. And like, wow, no one really understood. But it was just like, oh, that's that, that's what happens in our family. Like, you grow grow beards very early. <laughs> But like, I I don't evolutionarily understand what what benefit that had for me. Like, what at what point like my family line was like, yeah, this will be good for survivability. Right. Well, so you're a cool sixth grader, I think. I was a well, very cool sixth grader. I mean, yeah, you certainly had parents your, did not let me shave. You had a lot of weird. yeah breeding options, if we say that delicately. Having a beard in sixth grade. <laughs> um. Okay, but what about eyebrows? What's going on there? Is that so? Well, that keeps dust out of your eyes. How? Have you eyebrows. ever seen someone without eyebrows? You don't want to reproduce with them at all. I, Super <laughs> Saiyan 3, Goku's hot as hell. I don't know what you're talking about. So is it just like for sweat to stop before it goes in your eyes? No, it, it, expressiveness is, a, is of biological importance. Oh. Being able to express emotions is meaningful. Yeah, I guess it'd be tough to do reaction videos if you shaved off your eyebrows. That's a fair point. That's yeah, yeah that's yeah. really where the past million <laughs> yeah. plus years have been leading. So <laughs> YouTube thumbnails would be so difficult. <laughs> I like it as a challenge. Uh, Ryan McGinnis <laughs> says, "How do you been on the weekends?" I recently saw a post on Reddit about the days of the week. The post simply asks, "What's the first day of the week?" It's Monday. It's like calendars say Sunday, but we all know that's yeah. a lie. Yeah, I think it was on like Firescape or the Bombcast recently, but Dan Records, well, obviously it's Sunday. I was like, what? It's, it seems very clearly a Monday thing. Emotionally, it's Monday. Yeah, forget calendars. I agree with Dan. It's Sunday. It is like Sunday is the day like, oh, okay, I got to get myself back together. That's and Monday. Like, that's the whole vibe prepare of Monday. For Monday. My point is Garfield doesn't hate Sundays, do we? No, he don't. He might. <laughs> I mean, he might be an atheist. We don't know. Okay. That's true. Yeah, I always thought of Saturday and Sunday as like the two vacation days to, to prepare, you know, yeah. to be I, like, I, to rest at the end of the week. And then you, Monday kicks it off 
all over. Yeah, and, that's that's. I think, of course, that's how it works. Friday night and Saturday right. are the vacation. And Friday night's like the, oh, I don't have to do anything tomorrow. I'm good. And Saturday's like, I, I don't have to do anything today. I'm great. And then Sunday's like, okay, I got to do stuff tomorrow. <laughs> this sucks. Weird. Yeah, uh, I got to do stuff tomorrow, the first day of the week. My, yeah. I wonder, yeah, I don't know. So Sunday, <laughs> Sunday was always the day I did homework. For over the weekend homework. Okay. Because like, I'm not doing it Friday night. I'm not doing it Saturday. So yeah. sun, like, I got to do it Sunday, Sunday because I have Monday the next day. Yeah, yeah. All right, let us know. Maybe we'll do a Twitter poll or something. Uh, Sunny D writes in and says, interesting question here. Is there a better or more consistent games publisher than Finji? In the past five years, uh, for Finji, those games include Night in the Woods, Overland, Tunic, Chicory. Even considering the sheer quantity of other games publishers publish, I don't think they compare to the consistency and quality of Finji's work. Yeah, mm. super solid for sure. Yeah, I guess it's, you know, it's easy to be, it's like, you know, there is no more consistent video game developer than Fumito Ueda, who has made right. three games. Right. You know, yes. it's like, they, they have four, so. Like, uh, you could argue Nintendo, but Nintendo's made some stinkers, but that's because they've made, like, a thousand games so yeah. far. Yeah. But, like, I don't know, I think Devolver is probably up there in terms of publishing. Mm-hmm. Like, they, yeah, they pick them. great. Yeah, uh, Annapurna, obviously, we crunched I, the numbers. I, I would yeah. put Annapurna far above Devolver Annapurna at this too, point. Yeah, I, I think Annapurna is great up until 12 minutes. At oh, which point look. Like, Everybody releases. That kind of drives the average now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Sunny D says, Finji would be a great interview at some point. Yeah, I've talked to Adam Saltzman before over there at, at Finji um, because I'm obsessed with Cannibalt and specifically when he developed the Hunger Games mobile game that was like Oh a game my. that was like Cannibal, but you're running. It's like the only Hunger Games video game ever released and had a soundtrack by Danny Baranowski. And it was just like this weird anomaly. Like how, how is there not a Hunger Games Battle Royale? I don't understand how the only game we got was this Cannibal offshoot from Adam Saltzman. Yeah. Which wasn't bad. No, it was cool. Like it, was, it was a good little mobile game. Man, I forgot. Yeah. I love Cannibal too. Cannibal's um, great game. It's good. Uh, Denim Harry wrote in telling us all that we need to play Destiny more. And they said something that I did not know about. So here's a story from uh, Destiny, everybody. Apparently, there are characters in Destiny 2 that are aware they are in a video game and are trying to escape by planting themselves in the player's memories. <laughs> That's mm. that. I did not know this was an aspect of uh, Destiny 2, but that Wait, sounds great. is Destiny great. cool? I think it might be cool. I, I heard Destiny is actually very cool. Like I bet, <laughs> no, I bet if I got into it, that? reveal the, your sources. The problem Destiny's is like, just like Eve Online. You hear other people talk about it, and that's the way to played by millions of people. <laughs> like I, at this point, how do you get into Destiny? Like they've, they've locked away so much old content. Like if you get in, you're going to be like kind of at least decently lost. Do you just go like, oh well, I'm lost. Oh well, I'll I'll read a wiki or something. Mm, that's weird. Oh, and then they say, I guess technically in Destiny 2 lore, these characters aren't quite aware they're in a game, but they are aware that players exist. Hmm. <laughs> Please, Weird. everybody write in more about this. I've, I'm now quite intrigued. Um, Uncharted Wolf says, hi, Imran Khan and MinMax, I guess. Uh, considering we're in the final stretch of the year, what's a game that's been revealed this year that you wish more people talked about or you completely forgot was revealed? For example, I thought the Kingdom Hearts 4 trailer was a collective fever dream we all had at once, but it is in fact real. <laughs> yeah, you can look up that trailer again. That uh, was not weird. released, just revealed. Just revealed this year. I I haven't forgot about it, but I want more people to talk about Slitterhead. Oh mm. yeah, that's a good one. Right on right from uh, Gravity Rush uh, director. 
I mean, uh, Silent Hill guy, right? Yeah. Mr. Silent Hill one guy, yeah. Um, yeah, one that I watched the reaction video, or I reacted to the reveal video with you, Jacob Geller, but it still feels like a fever dream. Remember when they announced that they're remaking Splinter Cell? Remember when that was like a whole yeah. <laughs> Ubisoft announcement? Yes. Easy to forget that one. Uh, Dragon's Dogma 2, I think it was another yes. one. That was kind oh, of yeah. weird timing there. But and they showed a t-shirt. They did show the t-shirt, so it's as legit as it gets. Imran, can you think uh, of anything? I, I'm trying to think. Yeah. I I don't... So you're there, too- were, there are a lot of games that were announced this year that I... I'm trying to like remember because like it all it all kind of blends together. It's, yeah, for, for like when things get announced, yada yada yada. Yeah, uh, you just remember too much, Imran. That's your problem. I, I think I do remember too. I there is an encyclopedic knowledge in my head of like every, all video games that <laughs> s- like slowly just get replaced with other stuff mm. <laughs> as time goes on. Yep. Uh, I'm not disappointed this hasn't been talked about more because they literally just announced it, but like. Uh, there was a new Garou, uh Mark of the Wolves announced at Evo. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. that look, I, I love Garou. I can't wait for them to do more with that. I, I'm not upset this hasn't been announced. Or not announced, uh, not been talked about more. I think it's fascinating how little interest there seems to be in Forspoken. Hmm. Because yeah, that, that game... Yeah, that is surprising to me, yeah. That, that game is a big budget Square Enix title that just, like... It, people talk about it when they do a delay or do a, a new trailer or whatever, but the conversation dies down within like a day. Yeah. I really wonder that game was supposed to be out, I think next month originally. Yeah. I, when it does come out, how's it going to do? Is it going to like, there's no expectations to really for it to exceed. So logically people should like it quite a bit, but we'll we'll see how it does when it comes out. When the last preview event I had for it, I came away being like, okay, parts of that look interesting. Yep. But man, some of the some of the writing aspects of it seem yeah. seem like they're aiming for an audience that I don't think is going to be interested in this game. No, I, mean, I, I think feel like people are going to tear it apart. No one ever shuts up about that. Like really? oh, <laughs> you know, at least that aspect of it. It's right. like for spoken, it's got a huge amount of talk. It's just that it seems cringe. And I agree yeah. that the the game looks cool, but it's like I don't know. We're talking about it. Yeah, we're right, talking because yeah, they're. Talking. I don't know that any of that tr- is going to translate to like marketing attention. Is <laughs> my main concern yeah yeah i don't know um oh another one uh i guess we didn't talk about it on the podcast because it was part of the ubisoft forward which was a bit of a drag of a presentation but in there they announced that they're making valiant hearts 2 with mm. netflix oh right yeah. like that world war one game which is really interesting i really like that game um mick manga writes in and says hope everyone's having a good day i've got a simple question but it's one i can't stop thinking about with platoon 3 having massive sales in its first week do you think it'll be the best-selling game of 2022 no. There's a Call of Duty this year, right? Yep. Modern Warfare 2, I think, yeah. is going to do gangbusters. Um, and you'd Usually, say, oh, yeah. tra- traditionally, Call of Duties are the top of the NBD charts at the end of the year. But this one... I mean, I you, think... Usually, they're for the next year. So, probably not for for the calendar year 2022. I, what it am, could just be Splatoon. No, I, mean, what is, I think Elden Ring. That, what's Elden, Elden Ring doing? Yeah. I mean, that's on multiple. Yeah, didn't Elden Ring sell 15 platform. million copies? 15 yeah. million. Yeah. I have not heard a lot about it since then, but also Bandai Namco has not had like quarterly results since then. Uh, yeah. They put out some DLC this year. The, yeah, I, I think I think it's absolutely Modern Warfare 2 by a mile. I think that brand getting out there again. I mean, Vanguard was a zero for I feel like general discussion last year and it was still the best selling game of 2021 and a title like Modern Warfare 2 I think it's going to 
eventually was, crush Elden Ring. I was in the wild uh, at a restaurant and heard people at the next table over being like, bro, you seen the new Modern Warfare 2 footage? Which, like, really, I don't hear people talking loudly about video games very often. It's like, <laughs> this guy was very excited about Modern Warfare 2. Like, All right. I eat at Buffalo Wild Wings more often, James. Yeah, it's a place to be, man. <laughs> like, uh, oh, yeah? I When I was in Japan, yeah. there was so much Splatoon advertising everywhere yeah. it was on train stations it was in stores it was uh i went to a 7-eleven and bought a splatoon donut like there it is <laughs> it is i think flavored? it was a. Uh, I think it was just like normal sh- sugary donut with like a black frosting and like a neon mm, sp- okay. drizzle over it or whatever hang on was it like, like competing drizzles though n- that would have been a good idea i don't think it was what? no they're blowing it they, they are do you have their number um, okay, but hang on. Are you I, I really, will get you in touch with Miyamoto, and we'll, we'll see what we can do. Are you saying Splatoon 3 is going to outsell Elden Ring by the end of the year? I, Splatoon 3 in Japan has outsold every single PlayStation 5 game I know, I know, I know, I know. We're talking worldwide. I'm just trying to figure by out the, what you're claiming here. Yeah, I think so. By June, by June of 2020, which was, I think, three years after Splatoon 2 came out, and it sold 10 million copies on one console, I think Switch, is so, well, Switch at this point is the best-selling console in the, in the market right now. Yeah. I... I could reasonably see by the end of this year, Splatoon 3, assuming there's not like just a huge drop off in sales, having sold about 17 million. 17 million? I could reasonably see that. That is not like, that's not me saying for sure that will happen, but I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Wow. All right. Remember this day, everybody. Uh, Joe Mama writes in and says, hey, what is the most photographed thing on planet Earth? Not generally. Like, there are more from, cat photos than dog photos. I mean, actual thing. The actual... From planet Earth? Like, does it count if you're, you are standing on Earth and taking a photo of something that's oh, not on Earth? you say it's... Right, like, were you thinking, like, the, the sun moon? or the yes. moon? Sunrise? Yes. <laughs> the sun I was thinking, moon. yeah, like, the Atlantic Ocean, you know? Yeah, or like that's something. tough. Yeah, we gotta go smaller than an ocean. Let's say, let's say oceans and celestial bodies are out. Hmm. Um, the... Is it the Leaning Tower? I don't know. Is, is it, it, is it makes something it like, like you know, would it, would it be insane to say, like, the Disney World castle over, like, the Eiffel oh, Tower? That, you know, because I'm thinking of, like, a landmark. Well, that I think, I like that idea, but everybody going by the Eiffel Tower is taking a picture of it. And the fact right. that it's been around for so much longer, I think, well, I guess not that much longer. What, 40 years or something? But... I think Eiffel Tower would have to take it because there's so many people just milling about, going by. Everyone has to take a picture. But is it Eiffel Tower number one? That would be wild. Walt, the Great Wall. I like. Maybe? I think. Yeah. The ratio of people, like the percentage of people who have taken a picture, who have seen the Eiffel Tower and taken a picture of it, is probably close to like a hundred percent. Yeah. Pure. But I wonder if, like, in raw numbers, there's that many, like. In comparison to something else, which I can't yeah, think of right now. Yeah, could it be like the most popular tourist destination in India or in China, where there are just like like the sheer number of people going to it might be higher. Yeah, or like the Grand Canyon, which Ooh, maybe more yeah. tourist people like going to it. Yeah, but even Disneyland versus Grand Canyon. I mean, Disneyland has to have more people per day. And so mm-hmm. everyone's taking a picture of that castle. Yeah, Taj Mahal. I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like the big touristy spots in India or China. What Great Wall of China? I mean, every, I don't know. Yeah, like, there you got a lot of area to photograph. I, I think more true. people have seen it, 
more people have photographed it is a different question. I don't have a sense of where the Great Wall of China is. I don't China. No, I don't have a sense of like, is it next to like big cities? I always just see it out in the middle of the woods. So I don't know like if people are really hanging out next to it that much. I don't think it's next to any large cities, but I can't like, obviously it's a large enough wall that I can't like, I don't have the geography in my head. Of what I need to watch that Matt Damon movie again, just to try and remember. <laughs> um, I don't know. This is Eiffel Tower. I, it feels about right. Mm. Oh, I think, I mean, it wouldn't be like Coliseum or something. But I guess I think I keep wanting to go back further, but I guess there weren't like cameras no, for that I mean, stretch of time. So it doesn't matter. And, like, and they started, I mean, cameras, at least the first movies were like in France. So you that's know, right. That's, that's right. I have more tourists in the Eiffel Tower than whatever X thing. Or is. yeah, like question. the Empire State Building. But that one's kind of harder yeah. to like, you know, it's just kind of in the middle of a bunch of buildings versus the Eiffel Tower being like, mm. it's here. Well, what Statue it, of Liberty. Yep. Yep. What but the, it's like, it's either far away or you have to go out to that island and not a lot of people, you know, actually go to the island. Right, right. but if we're like, including, like, cameras, then, like, oh, like uh, filming ca- film cameras. If you I, do, think, I still just think, I think you're right in that, like, probably every single person who goes to the Eiffel Tower takes a picture of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Mm. You know what? If we include selfies... I think it's Brian Shea. I think it seems pretty easy. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we're Brian Shea is probably the most photographed object. <laughs> uh, what do y'all like for a question of the week? That one. I, mean, I, that I photo do. Pretty good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that guy's a good discussion. It I is like a that. real thinker. All right, Joe Mama, you got it. You just won IM 8 Bits big prize of We Are OFK on PlayStation 5. So reach out and get your contact info. Thank you. Uh, now it's time for something that is called Get a Load of This. Imran, sorry, I forgot to remind you. Do you have one? Uh, come back to me. Okay, will, Kyle, kick it off. Wow us, dude. Oh, boy, what do I have <laughs> recently? Sorry, I don't <laughs> have my list. Just start up. with me. I have a big one. All right, Jacob Geller, take it away. Get a load of this. I'm doing a 24-hour charity stream <laughs> this week, uh, starting starting Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern time and going for 24 hours. I'm going to be streaming on my Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash Jacob Geller, raising money for Point of Pride, which is a charity that provides uh, trans health and wellness care to people who need it. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. There are going to be a ton of guests, including several people from MinMax. There is going to be uh, an unofficial cream of the steam. Sarah Podzorski is me? finding uh, <laughs> finding weird sword-based games for me to do because the whole <laughs> stream is based around swords. Um, so, yeah, come, come through here. Me and other favorite internet people talk and uh, raise money for trans healthcare. Nice. Uh, there's a link below for all this. One more time. What time is it? Uh, it starts at 4 p.m. Eastern and will go literally 24 hours. So Friday night through Saturday night. Awesome. How are you feeling about it? Is it is it exciting for you? Are you dreading just the marathon aspect? Or? There is so much preparation uh it is it is essentially the scale of like making one of my videos which takes like a (laughs) month to make uh but we're almost there and so i just kind of want to get it started and start you know chugging monster energies and doing all that oh yeah that's sweet uh hey get a load of this um believe it or not uh, i was on the blank check podcast it's like a patreon exclusive one where they talked about this fact but i looked into it and i had not heard this before but 
Um, fun saga with the soundtrack to the classic Coen Brothers film, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Did you listen to this too, Jacob Keller? I have, I have been telling this fact to like everyone <laughs> in my life. Really? Okay, good. Yeah. I'm glad it pops so hard for brothers. But the soundtrack to Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, um, it was album of the year, sold millions and millions and millions and millions of copies. It's just a real strange anomaly. Um, but the cool thing is there was a prisoner in the Mississippi State Penitentiary in 1959 named James Carter. And at some point, him and his fellow prisoners, um, they were singing this old bluesy melancholy song called Poe Lazarus. And somebody just happened to be recording them doing this. Like somebody came into the prison recording them, recorded them. Uh, this guy, uh, James Carter, barely even remembers if this happened. But the version of that song was used on the soundtrack for Oh Brother, Where Art There Then. And he didn't even realize that that movie existed, that that soundtrack existed, anything. And so at some point then, in like the early 2000s, somebody just knocked on his door and said, uh, we owe you a lot of royalties. <laughs> Here's a check for $20,000. And um, eventually over time, it's going to grow to hundreds of thousands of dollars because you sang in a prison in 1959. It is just like the best case scenario of just this guy saying once and now here's a check because you're secretly genius. And so in this New York Times article, which is uh, linked below, uh, the person who came and told him about it uh, mentioned that the album was outselling the latest CDs of Michael Jackson and Mariah Carey. I told him, you beat both of them. Uh, he's got a real, he got a real kick out of that. And then he left the room to roll a cigarette. And when he came back, he said, you tell Michael that I'll slow down so that he can catch up with me. <laughs> so, That's great. So there you go. The, uh, the other fact from that, which I loved was that of the main cast, George Clooney and John Turturro were dubbed, but yes. Tim Blake Nelson sang his own part. And right. so he made more money from that movie than George Clooney did uh, <laughs> because he got royalties from the album. That's amazing. Yeah, I remember um, I went to a concert in like 2000 and before the movie came out, and it was like an Alison Krauss concert. And the guy that she was singing with was the guy that dubbed Clooney in the movie. And mm. I remember like as a kid seeing this like outdoor concert that my parents brought me to. And I remember the guy's like, yeah, there's this movie coming up called, uh, Oh brother, where art thou? And I dubbed George Clooney. And my wife said, it's the perfect match of my voice and George Clooney's looks. And uh, <laughs> that joke really stuck with me for all these years. Um, all right, Kyle, no excuses. Now you gotta have something good. Uh, I don't even know how I came across this, but this person, uh, old Linz shared this snippet from Wikipedia about the person who invented the saxophone. <laughs> and uh they their joke oh, the was champ? just reading a, what's that the saxophone champ yeah that's right okay. uh they said just reading about this guy who would go on to invent the saxophone uh sax faced many brushes with decks his, his name was sax he faced many brushes with death as a child he once fell from a high height of three floors hit his head on a stone and was believed dead at the age of three he drank a bowl full of acidic water mistaking it for milk and later swallowed a pin he received serious burns from a gunpowder explosion and once fell into a hot cast iron frying pan burning his side several times he avoided accidental poisoning and asphyxiation from sleeping in a room where varnish of where varnished furniture was drying another time young sax was struck in the head by a cobblestone and fell into a river almost dying his mother once said that he's a child condemned to misfortune. He won't live. His neighbors called him Little Sax, the ghost. So that's oh no. that's who invented the saxophone was this person who just managed to avoid death somehow. I <laughs> the world they, was trying to keep the saxophone from being invented. Yeah, God so. tried to stop it from happening. Right. Yeah. I guess that third floor they was failed. a little too alto. Uh, Imran, do you got something? 
Yeah, so when I was in Tokyo, I met a wrestler named Kenny Omega. Yeah. And I tweeted about this, but the thing I didn't tweet about is that we, like, we talked for a little bit about Yakuza, and we talked about, like, the the game, like, the games itself and the what he liked. The dude is, like, maybe a bigger Yakuza fan than I am. He has played everything. He has That's played awesome. multiple times. I've also, like, separately, this is not when I met him, but, like, later on, I heard he was just, like, at the Street Fighter booth just beating people at Street Fighter. Like, legitimately good people just beating them up in real life. <laughs> like, he could. He, he had could, a lot of that recently. He, legitimately, he probably could just, like, lift them over his head after a match and be like, what are you going to do about it? Nothing. That's fun. Like, but I, I posted, like, a picture of meeting him on Twitter. He is an incredibly cool and nice guy. Oh, that's sweet. Uh, hey, from the uh, community Discord for MinMax here, Leafion posted uh, this tweet from Patters, which is a clip from the Kit and Krista podcast, uh, which caused a lot of uh, online fury. Um, the clip is posted there, and the tweet just says, The Pokemon company thinks that Nuzlocke runs are on the same level as ROM, ha- ROM hacks, according to former Nintendo employees. So the Nuzlocke run, the you know, play this game a certain way, and it's basically the permadeath run of of Pokemon. Uh, Kit and Chris told the story of they wanted to do a Nuzlocke run in the video, and the Pokemon company said, no, that's the equivalent of like a ROM hack. We're not going to let you do that. And then, Imran, did you follow this saga? The internet lit itself on fire debating this? Yeah, I, I know Joe Merrick said like, yeah, I've also heard Pokemon company people who say no, but like, I also, I, I don't disbelieve Kit and Krista if they say they tried to well, get it done and they like... I, th- I think it's like a night and day thing. No. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like if Kit and Chris are with Nintendo want to do it and the Pokemon company's like, ah, I don't support that weird like yeah. sub-community thing. I'm sure they thing. don't care if a fan does it That's exactly it. The idea that like, them, yeah. they're going to come down on you for playing. It's like, no, it's completely different when it comes from the official messaging yeah, versus right. just the overall but, idea. But that sounds like every dealing I've ever had with the... So there's a story... Okay, here's a small anecdote once. Okay. That once I was sitting in a demo for a Pokemon game and this is a demo... Like it was a couple of other outlets including... I've. I don't even remember where I think it was probably Game Informer at the time. Like, and somebody remarked at that, hey, that one UI element's a little blurry. That's strange, right? And earlier in the day, they had told us we could you could take footage from this demo. You can use it for a video for or whatever you need. Yeah. Like after that person pointed out that one UI element was a little blurry, the Pokemon Company guy left the room on his phone. And like an hour later, they sent out an email saying you can no longer use footage from this thing. Oh, Kyle, I think you were there at that event with me. Actually, really? you yeah, were not at that, at that in that room with me, but you were you were had. A later I covered a lot of Pokemon. So yeah, yeah, you had a later appointment for that same game. That is brutal. But all right, that sounds about right. Uh, all right. Well, hey, that's it for this episode of the MinMax Show podcast. Thank you so much, everybody, for watching and listening. Uh, check out Jacob Geller's charity stream. There will be a link below. That's going to be a whole 24-hour thing. It'll be fun. There's going to be a bonus episode, as we all know, of Steam Secret Stash uh, happening in there. So please this look one, forward to Cream that. of Steam. <laughs> no, no, not familiar with that <laughs> show. Um, Imran, what would you like to plug, sir? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at ImranZOMG, but also you can probably follow everyone from the, I think hashtag is FanbiteFallen or mm. FanbiteLayoffs, I believe the two that are being used. Please support everyone who's like was laid off and pe- people who are still there who are almost certainly looking for jobs right now because whoever is still there knows how tenuous that thing is right now. Yeah, that's rough. Um, anybody else got anything to promote? Kyle, how'd that GameSpot uh, mobile thing go the other week? Oh, it was good. Yeah, it was... Um this hour-long showcase of a bunch of upcoming mobile games that I, I've, it felt like doing a bunch of really small 
Game Informer cover stories all at once, you know, like <laughs> yeah, a smaller yeah. scale version of those and then a bunch of them all at once. But uh, yeah, it was good. It was funny. I think it came out well. Go check right it out. Uh, also, we have Party Chat, which is our bonus podcast each and every week. And that bonus podcast feed uh, on this week's episode, Jenna Garcia is on and she talks about going to a Square Enix preview event and playing Crisis Core, the remaster there, playing Star Ocean, a bunch of other stuff, the new Dragon Quest game. And so if you want to unlock that discussion, you can help support us at the same time by jumping over there on patreon.com slash minmax with two N's. Also up on our YouTube channel and the podcast version is also in the bonus podcast feed, which is overflowing with content, including the grand finale of the deepest dive on indiana jones and the fate of atlantis but um it's uh, a new podcast where it's jeff and i uh talking about our favorite two-player tabletop games it's the second episode of tabletop game night which is our monthly show that's on twitch and youtube and because this was just a podcast discussion we put that podcast right in your bonus podcast feed for patreon supporters so i hope you all enjoy that if you're into tabletop coverage it's really Jeffem Letner rip. He really went above and beyond just for like the production of this. And so it's fun to see him finally leaning into tabletop in a big way here. Um, also, look alive, everybody, because you have a, we have a new show coming up on Thursday at 7 p.m. Central on Twitch. We're going to be streaming it, but then it's going to be archived on YouTube the next day. But this is a show hosted by Kelsey Lewin, MinMax contributor. Um, right now, I believe the name is officially... Kelsey's Collector Corner. So what we're going to be doing is showing off game collections from around the game industry and the MinMax community. So we're going to be jumping around to different people in the game industry. They're going to be showing off their rare gaming collectibles. I mean, yeah, sure, sealed copies of games are fine, but we want really obscure, weird stuff. Kyle, you know, like we saw earlier, that picture on a Game Boy camera of Alexei Pagenov oh, yeah. for the Tetris creator, right? Um, yeah. So just uh, absurd, rare collections like that. There's... N- Really, there are few people in the world who can do this better than Kelsey Lewin. I mean, she is extremely knowledgeable about all of this stuff, as you know from this podcast. So please check that out on Twitch and watch it live, or you can check it out on YouTube. And if you want to be highlighted on the show and actually on the show showing off your gaming collection, we're going to be um, collecting options from the MinMax community. So if you have a great gaming collection, you want to be on the show, support us on Patreon because we're going to jump in there and people can let us know what they have in their collections. And then every episode will be showing off somebody from the community's collection as well. So please look forward to that. And last plug, I promise, is the new episode of Trivia Tower is happening this Monday. Chris Kohler is going to be joining us, who was just on the podcast not too long ago talking about Ninja Turtles. Uh, So it's Monday, September 26th at 8 p.m. Central. The new episode of Trivia Tower, you can win a game code by competing in-game trivia. We have game codes for stuff like Rollerdrome, uh, Haiku, the Robot, a ton of great recent indie games in particular, so you can win a great game code there. We also have some bigger games as well to give codes out for. So help support MinMax at any tier, and you can jump in and compete in game trivia. It'll be the thrill of your life. Uh, And thank you to some of our bigger supporters, everybody at that $50 tier on Patreon, the Game Champion tier. You can choose any game under the sun, and people like Clement Zobel chose Chrome Hounds. They're officially the champion of Chrome Hounds. Starkiller chose Star Wars Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast. Maniac chose to officially be declared the champion of Total War Warhammer 3. And PrettyGoodPrinting.com, a person after our hearts, they chose Star Wars Yoda Stories. (laughs) truly an iconic star wars game they are the game champion there so thank you so much to everybody at that tier for making this whole thing happen and the whole thing possible imran thanks for joining us on a marathon episode dude 
Thank you for having me. I'm always fun. I obviously I have more time to come down whenever you need me to. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being so knowledgeable. And please check out Imran's Twitter account and all that stuff for his Patreon, presumably to launch next week, along with some very exciting times in his life. So congratulations on everything, Imran. Thank you. Making the most of a dark time. Way to go, buddy. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you next week. Be good. Have fun. Let's go. Let's go.